We well, would be a problem if he showed up on here. Who cares? I don't know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bros, Bibles, and Beer. Wow. It is episode 189. I could... Uh, Andy? You're so close to me. How you doing? You smell good. Yeah, thanks. Hey, Zach. How's it going? We're going to solve abortion tonight. Whoa. And uh, Scott? And nobody cares what you think. Cheap. Okay. All right. So before we do anything, my glass is empty. So can Zach, can you help me out? I have I have a couple things in the cooler. I made a major mistake in what I poured myself. What'd you pour yourself? Some strawberry kiwi or something you had downstairs. We don't have a strawberry kiwi. We're Americans. <laughs> Luck of the draw. I grabbed Ooh. El Segundo Citra. El Segundo Citra Pale Ale. You want a sip of this, Jeff? Or can you uh, not? No. Have it? You can't have it. I mean, at least for the moment. Hold on. Oh, now I'm regretting my decision to diet today. That's me, actually. It's not the beer. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. It's going to, the gate's going to catch it, though. Oh. oh, do you hear that? It's nice. I hear it. Mm. This is El Segundo Brewery, uh, the Citra Pale Ale, which is kind of fun. I like that. I'll, I'll Usually, Citra implies that we're getting ourselves an IPA. We we need to okay. Go ahead, Zach. You were going to respond to that. No, citrus a is a hop, and it could be used in pails, IPAs. You know, maybe even a, a little bit with a pilsner. You I never was, know. I was just going to comment that we need to capture that sizzling foam, the beer pour. Oh, you want a sound bite? Absolutely. I'm not opposed to that. We, yeah, definitely. By the way, in case it wasn't obvious, we're not solving abortion. Nobody's solving abortion. I just was trying to have a, like a hot take. That's people are talking about it right now. It was hot. I didn't even think about what was going on though. All I just did, I just responded to Jeff's um, Joe Biden moment. You started off asleep, Jeff, and then you ramped up. It was great. I did not expect I didn't Andy either. to go after me so quickly. You know, and it, what's funny about this is most episodes in the recent in my recent memory have a version of us talking a little bit. Yes, and. And then being caught off guard by right. the music coming in. Yes. Andy has yeah. this incredible ability to sneak it up on us. He picks just, the best spots to sneak up on us. Just put it right in there. I'm just. great at hitting record. <laughs> <laughs> we miss we miss Scott. Uh, Scott we was on board Scott. to get here. I don't know what happened. It was a last minute uh, message. Hey, guys, not going to be there. Scott, we miss you. I miss you, Scott. I wish you were here. We do have a guest coming up shortly, Mr. Kevin Sweeney, who wrote a book on choir publishing. What's Kevin's book? He didn't write a book on choir publishing. (laughs) On choir published the book. What's Kevin's book name again? You're right. The book is called Making of a Mystic, My Journey with Mushrooms, My Life as a Pastor, and Why It's Okay for Everyone to Relax. I'm guessing he's not talking about shiitake mushrooms, but we'll, we'll we'll do a deep dive into all the various mushrooms. You know what? You know the mystic thing? What which podcast? What person does that remind you of? Going way back, Mystic. Yes. Uh, for in the interest of good pod, want you just tell me so Come there's on. not silence. Come on, we were all in your place, hovering together like this. He was, was uh, it Jamal. No, it was a science guy. Oh, oh, you remember? He said science, he had the Mystic experience. Science Mike. Science Mike. That's right. Science Mike. That was our very first guest. 
I, oh I gosh, think that's right. Yeah, I was so nervous. Is like, it just me or does Mike sound like the least scientific name? It does. And that was part of the appeal. Like, hey guys, I'm just a regular guy who researches like stuff. I'm just like you. you Which he what? has changed it. He's not a scientist. He never claimed to be, by the way. Right. Well, he said his name is Science Mike. So. Well, that was given to him. I think Sarah Heath, also a, a multiple guest, uh, gave him that nickname, I think. Of the Heath Bar family. So she's got that candy <laughs> just bar money. loaded. Yeah. So much candy money. And there's no mysticism about her. She's straightforward. She's not dating Scott. No, she's not. Did we try to work that one out? Well, Scott attempted to ask her out on her second or maybe third, maybe second visit. On she's, air, in person. She's local, right? Ish. Costa Mesa slash Mission Viejo yeah. by way of Orange County. Uh, is it weird that she tried to connect with me on LinkedIn recently? <laughs> no. <laughs> maybe you're she's searching for Scott. It's professional. You, you know everyone else, Andy. I am connected to all the people on you, LinkedIn. Now you're connected. But I will say, hey, in the interest of... Uh, Full disclosure, and I, I don't expect people living the corporate life or, you know, somebody doing public school teaching, um, to be, to, you know, disclose anything. But I have done mush mushrooms. LinkedIn is for adults who are not really old adults. <laughs> like how Andy just like, good talk <laughs> glazed, and I say glazed in you it's, know, it's a mystic face, way. It's Facebook for adults, but not old adults. Glazed over it. That's true. Okay, sorry. That's true. I, I haven't done any mushrooms. Hey, back to the I don't shrooms. know about mushrooms. No hey, shrooms for me. I mean, I've done shiitake mushrooms. That's about it. <laughs> and, um, but they got to be really hot out of the pan, and you got to eat them right away. And then you're like, shiitake. Yeah. I was, I will say. Do you guys usually try to check the food before you take it out of the oven and eat it, or do you just hush, 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 all the way through Just it. trying to blow any air, <laughs> a little air conditioning. I saw that tweet the other day. Do you guys, uh, do you guys just go for it by faith, or do you just hush, 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 all the way through it? <laughs> what? Dude, I so get it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I do. Uh, Good times. I like the El Segundo Citra, by the way. It's tasty. It's light, but it, it's not so light that I dislike it. I believe the bro term for a beer like this is it's imminently crushable. Oh man, it's drinkable. This is a very drinkable beer. I could drink it with my face. Um. So, uh, I'm now that we're looking at, at ourselves in the uh, Zoom. Yeah, the Zoom there. Um, I had a, a student of mine this last week say, "Hey, Mister Pearson, how old are you?" And I said, "Um." I'm 49. Oh man, I thought you were so much older. You have so much gray hair, dude. For some and I reason, I know what they're talking about. But then I said, "How old did you think I was?" And he said, "51." I'm like, two year difference." Something is weird, though. On camera, you look old as shit. <laughs> <laughs> in person, I feel like you don't look that old. But in, on camera, man, you do look old. I camera look, adds 15 years. <laughs> it does. That's, that's what, what they, they say. That's what they say. Really old. Oh, man. Really old. Somehow you look younger, Andy. But you look skinnier on this lens than you do in real life, That's Jeff. true. Fat face. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is really profitable. Uh, I'm sorry. We're really All right, setting thank the tone you, everybody. Stay with Kevin us. Kevin Sweeney. <laughs> Stay with us. Uh, listener, if you really want this to be a video podcast, then you're going to need to let us know, and it's going to be in no uncertain terms. So figure out how to inform us. And then we'll convert this to a video podcast. Mm. And you can see how old ass Jeff looks. I'll tell you what. It does. I'm I'm not all all kidding aside. For some reason you do look older on camera. 
That doesn't look like you. It right? I'm, it looks like it's Jeff, but I think we sprayed fake salt and pepper in his hair for a movie. I mean, I put the old AF filter on. Oh, and somehow oh, it only is picking you up. It's the light hitting yeah. the top of my my skin looks tighter than it ever head. has. Tight. Yeah. Yeah, it's really accentuating the grays. Uh, you know what? It's fine. We don't. Need How to talk is everybody about it. doing out there in Listenerville? This has got to be great. Oh gosh, you know they don't respond, Jeffrey. Fast forward. Fast forward. <laughs> so I did. Uh, I did. <laughs> I did do mushrooms multiple times on multiple occasions. It's been about twenty years, but who's counting? Oh, I guess to You'd, stick around, listener, if you want to, you know, get uh, virtually high on mushrooms with Zach. You did them for twenty years. I did them 20 years ago oh. multiple to- on multiple occasions. Do those cause flashbacks? Um, no, but I will say they're, the flashbacks I get are some of the mistakes I made on mushrooms that where when when that comes to mind, like the vis, you know, if you think back of something stupid you did and you like, you feel the embarrassment again as if it just happened. Dumb chills. Dumb chills. Yep. Oh. Occasionally. I did, I told... A girl I was dating, I'm technically a woman. We were both, you know, young, but I look at myself as like an. She had all the appropriate equipment. She was technically a woman. She was a woman. I was a man. (laughs) I mean, I'm still a man, but I was a man. (laughs) But I told her I loved her. And I I will tell you, I I did not love this woman in the permanent sense, the way I said it when I was on mushrooms. Oh. But we were only dating for a little, for a short while, and it it caught her off guard, and I kind of forgot about it after that night. I mean, I had an, an amazing experience. Um, the part that she missed was after she walked away that he also explained to the couch and to his friend and to the guy across the the everyone, yeah, everyone that he loved them as well. I love them. It was like I love I, lamp. I loved. I was connected with love. Anywho, it didn't work out so well when I broke up with her and she reminded me that you said you loved me. You know what? I said I love the mushrooms. You know, when that, you had mushrooms, you told me you loved me and that meant something. And now I'm embarrassed even saying that again. Like, it, I feel the embarrassment. A little cringy. A little, little cringy. Yeah, I feel a lot cringy. Right I appreciate is, that you shared that, though. That's right. good. I, I am not vulnerable. I am not somebody that has a stance uh, for or against recreational uh, drug use. Um, at any level, at at any level, really, I would say it depends on the person and the context. But I wouldn't say no drugs for you. I would say let me get to know you. What about at a professional level? At a professional level, well, for Andy, I would recommend a little bit of meth, just and- a little bit of meth for that corporate gig. Listener, Zach is into intramural drug use. Yeah. Um. However. If you're ready to take things to the big leagues, he's out. Correct. But uh, I will say I mushrooms is something that I would do again in the right circumstances. Um, but I, I hesitate to say like, I don't know. I'd be very careful with it. I was, I don't think, I don't look at myself as being ready to have had them before, but they can be an absolutely profound experience in the right circumstances and with the right uh, maturity levels. And I think we'll get a little taste of that coming up with our, with Kevin. Um, it, it's an interesting book. I enjoyed it. Can you zoom in on um, <laughs> profound? Like what, what do you mean by profound? Um, 
I don't know. Well, for me, there there is a bigness to. In, in addition to, <laughs> let me finish, Jeff. I'm sorry, I, I totally forgot the the guest that we had on in our topic. I'm like, why are we talking about drugs so much? <laughs> well, I'm trying to be um, an open book, authenticity, bro. Um, appreciate that. The bigness of you, you get a sense of how things are connected. You can. I've I've been around people that have had terrible trips that they wanted to make it end quickly. And my best understanding at the time was that they were losing their sense of control mm. over reality mm-hmm. and they were fighting it. And that's a, I would say that's probably a no, no. And for me, I was able to let go and just experience different sights, different um, sensations, walking outdoors. And you get a sense of the bigness of life and how things are connected. But I will say in my early twenties, yeah. probably wasn't, it, it probably would be more of a spiritual connected experience now if I were to do it than um, than it was back then. So looking back, I would tell myself, knock that off. Well, I can imagine that the feeling of losing control over your body and your sense of reality could be really scary. I mean, I think anytime people go under anesthesia in general – Doing professional drugs, maybe that's the version. <laughs> um, when you pro drug? When they're going under, yeah, like Lindsay, my wife had our first daughter. She had um, a C-section, and they they did the um, they did the anesthesia, and it was supposed to be from the waist down, and whatever happened, it was not, and it was full body anesthesia, and and she could barely talk mm. and her eyelids she was literally trying to say hold my eyes open like wow. that's that's as that's how hard it was for her to be able to get the words out and it was really scary for her um i mean also you know cutting a open your stomach and taking a human baby out that part too was a little freaky, but I can imagine that the fear that comes in the recreational version, which is if you're uh, if you're not necessarily on board or prepared for that, and you're trying to back out, yeah, that's, that's reality starts to change. Yeah, that can be scary. Yeah. So again, kids, your mileage will vary, and it's worth noting, kind of like um, cannabis thing. It's not either you are blasted high or you're totally sober. These these things can be fine-tuned, and uh, it's there's a lot of interesting research being worked on regarding PTSD, depression, anxiety, and psilocybin and other hallucinogens on a microdose level, not where you're getting high, you're not having the, the visuals. No effects. Um, or no but, hallucinogenic effects. Yeah, there there's some pretty sweet research being done. And so uh, my guess would be for most Christians, drug use is a no-no, you know, primarily because it's illegal and it's altering your mind. But um, for for me, I would say that if the fruit of it is is healing and medicinal, and it can be done uh, in a managed way where you're not uh, losing yourself to it or becoming a slave to something else, um, I'm personally for it. But obviously, your mileage will vary. Were you losing yourself to it though? No, because after I was done, I it was clear that it's like, oh, we don't need to do that again for a while. Oh, 
It was, it was like, there wasn't a, like, I need to do that right now. It's been 20 years. Yeah, it's been 20 years. <laughs> and even, it was probably a handful of times I did it. Like, there was um, long stretches in between each time. Yeah. So, it wasn't like um, other things that seemed to grab you easier. Were there spiritual moments? Do you remember? I mean, it's 20 years ago. I don't even remember what I had for lunch last week. Um, I guess technically, I remember looking up at the clouds. I did have mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I, I'm listening to the conversation. I feel like I'm having out of body experience. And I feel like Tony Fauci should be here to like See? be a part of this conversation. Why he has to do with diseases? No, he has to do with doing drugs and no diseases. Stuff. No, well, he's a drug pusher. Did you wear a mask when you were having the drugs? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, oh, I was asking if if you if there was a spiritual element to to the experience for you. Um, then not so much. I was definitely kind of hiding and running from God a little bit at that time. Although there was a pretty magical moment where walking outside in the, in one or two in the morning and just looking at the clouds and the way the the moon was reacting to it, and there was mm-hmm. a little bit of a mind blowing like it's so big and there's def you know definitely there's more to the story than just the empirical, like that feeling of like, there's more going on behind mm-hmm. all of reality. When you were hiding, did you think you could actually uh, hide from God? Oh, I was literally playing hide and go seek. Like I was making God count and shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now I think going into it now in a managed experience, One Mississippi, if I were <laughs> <laughs> from the clouds, <laughs> Uh, that's pretty good. To Mississippi. <laughs> Zach, wherefore art thou? <laughs> I don't know why I'd, I went King James. <laughs> or why I'd, God counts in Mississippis. <laughs> <laughs> it's the universal sounding of, uh, I don't know what I was trying to say there. It's the universal counting. If you ask God to count, though, because... You know, like time is relative to him. Right. <laughs> oh, but what, could you be waiting for a thousand years? Right. <laughs> or, or what What state or country God, or city would he years. use? I'm waiting for Mississippi works just fine. Nah, but let's go back, you know, 2,000 years. Which one? One, Gal- one, one, thousand. One, 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 Galilee. Th- <laughs> <laughs> one, Bethlehem. Two, Bethlehem. One, oh, one, thousand. Four, four syllables. Yeah. One, one, thousand. Two, one, thousand. Years is as a day, one one thousand two one thousand days. You need four syllables. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, asking God to count down is you're you're ask you're going to be having to go pee before He finds you. Yeah. But I feel like I would be I would be in in uh, the it would be queued up for me to have a, a real connection with the divine, as it were, now more so than my in my twenties. So. My advice to my previous self and to anyone who's listening who thinks they might have been like that is um, just act, walk carefully and uh, probably don't do them. But if you do, be careful. Is that because you are less worried about um, stuff? <laughs> like you'd be more willing, you'd be more apt to have an encounter with the divine now than, than you were then because there was fewer hangups? Fewer hangups, more open to um, experience and yeah. a connection. 
on a deeper level. And, and there's a, there's a big component of some of these hallucinogens that is like, it really gets to your, gets at your ego and mm-hmm. there's like a self diagnosis, self examination that helps you, uh, get over some things. And I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit with our guest in a moment, but, um, why do you feel like you can't get there without assistance? Oh, I, I don't think I'm, I don't want to sound like I'm saying that because I think you can <laughs> kind of sounds like it. <laughs> no, I'm just saying I'm open to it, but I think you, you can, Tell me it's not required. Your thoughts on God. I'd like to meet her. Um, I don't think, I'm, yeah, you don't, you definitely don't need it. And for most people, it's probably not right. But, and for most people, you wouldn't even want to like, don't do it where you're losing control of your reality. You know, a little bit can go a long way. Yeah. That could be scary. Yeah. And also in some States it's illegal. So, there's that too. There's that too. So if you're a Christian that thinks if it's sanctioned by the state, it's okay. And if it's not, it's not, don't do it. A uh, separate but related question. Why was there so much mushroom-related things in Super Mario Brothers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to that. I think there's a deep dive on whoever created that. The music is amazing. Their creative process. I'm sure it was involved. <laughs> There's a couple of good uh, mushroom documentaries too on Netflix, like mushrooms in general, not psilocybin, just mushrooms in general. It's like a network. It's a fungus technically, right? It's a fungus and it's like a network in forests and it communicates. They know what trees need. It's a good fungus though. I could be pulling some of this out of my ass, but- Fungus among us. Not fungus. But they know what trees need. And it they the network communicates and it communicates with the trees. It's pretty amazing, um, the creation aspect of it. Like there, there is almost like a consciousness. Maybe not in the way we perceive it uh, amongst the fungi. That is pretty remarkable. It's worth looking up. All right, let's see. Where's our boy? Glad well, we can take it. Take us on this journey. Are we able to seamlessly do it or do we need to pause? I think we can just we can just roll with it. Jump in. Did you send the invite to him? We did. I did. Okay. Yeah. Uh so listener, just so you know, here's the way the sausage is made. We are currently live recording and zooming at the same time. And once our fabled guest joins us, he will be magically enveloped into the BBB pod world. Um, he leaves his reality and he joins ours and the collective reality is what we experience together. And Jeff still looks old. Just so you know, it is weird how old you look though, Jeff. but good Jeff. You, yeah. Like I hope I look that good when I'm old. It's distinguished. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like the, uh, Dos Equis guy. Like if I was looking for an older you man, do the Dos Equis guy for Halloween. Hey, there's Steve, my friends. Yeah. Look at him. You're right? better than the new guy. You are better. Oh, than the new guy. guy. They fired him right away, I believe. You should. Uh, quit. Is there even a Dosaki's guy? No, I think the Geico lizard took over. That's probably right. Like, they were going to give it to Gilbert Gottfried, I think. But then, oh, that's a hor- That'd be a horrible choice. And he died. He died. That'd be even. Yeah, that'd be bad. Uh. By the way, 
Jeff and I both finished Ozark. Oh, gosh. And I think, did you also feel unfulfilled with the ending? Yes, but let me just say, it's very difficult to end a great show well. So hard. Breaking Bad did okay. Dexter really shat the bed. <laughs> Breaking Bad ended fairly well. Uh, ones. It was okay. I wasn't so pleased with Dexter. Oh, no. Yeah, Dexter sucked. sucked That's what I was saying. Sucked hard. You talked yeah. about bed pooping. Ways that the Amber Heard. So tried. bad that they're yeah. like, well, let's make another they took one. took their inspiration from Andrew, Amber Heard. Andrew Heard. I heard from Andrew Heard. Um, okay, so finished Ozark. Mm-hmm. Uh, slight disappointment. But how about part one, part two, all of that last, this last season? The end of part one left me like this. Oh, whoa, whoa. Like that was my response. And like Lindsay, Bill and Ted. And Lindsay walked in. Yeah. Lindsay walked in. She's like, she hasn't been watching the series with me at all. <laughs> and she was like, what's happening? I go, people, people died. People. <laughs> significant people just died. Significant people died. And um, I didn't have that same reaction at the very end of the season, though. It was more of a meh. meh. I was like, mm-hmm. ah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other than that, guys, congratulations on third place softball. Did we get third place? No. Oh I mean, no! I we guess got, you could say you're tied for third. We didn't even. No, we got. If we lost fourth place, we, did we get fourth? No, third. We'll never know. Oh yeah, no, because we, we didn't play the second game against the other loser. We didn't. It's not even. No, but we were ahead of them before. Not worth it. I'm gonna claim third place. Compass or Coast Hills, you know, whatever. We were second seed, and that did not go well. It turns out. Uh, when you are playing softball, that you need to get more points than the other team. Yeah. Kevin's having sign-in issues on his end, Ugh. but that's progress. We heard we're back. It's happening. The good news is he doesn't need to sign in. Click the link, Kevin. He's in Hawaii. Oh, brother. He's so hard to click links, brother. I'm pretty sure that's offensive what? to somebody. Does he live we'll in let that slide. Hawaii? Yeah, lives, pastors. His wife's a pastor too. What? You can ask him about that. That's not on the allowed. next Bros, Bibles, and Beer. That's not wait, allowed. Wait, just because Scott's not here doesn't he have to, mean you have to act like him? Man, that's impossible. <laughs> How could that even happen? No, Scott wouldn't say that. That's not allowed. He would say, uh, "Wait, um, okay, say that again." <laughs> yeah, and what do you mean by uh, pastor? You know, it's funny. Like, what's she of, doing? We mentioned Sarah Heath earlier. My favorite response to she's been at like theological conferences and some Calvin bro will come up to her and like, you you can't be a pastor. And she's like, sorry, I've been doing it for too late. Right. Already been doing it. Oops. I pastored. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of, uh, it says meeting is for authorized participants only. Uh-oh, Jeff. Now we might mean? have to do some editing. Oh, crud. Is your school you thing locked? Oh, shoot. It's got, yeah, you got to take away the email. Invite. 
Oh, look at this. I don't know, man. What does this mean? What? I, it's giving me all these. Uh, hold on. Can you can you see this number, Zach? This is really fun. Listener, I'm sorry. We'll cut this out. See this number up here? Uh-huh. Text, he needs that number. Send him that number, and then send him this number. Oh, my gosh. So the, the join meeting number, and then the passcode number. Actually, I'm going to leave this in, listener, because you think this is professional, but you haven't paid for this, so it doesn't matter. You get it, what you... You get what you paid for. Join meeting number is nine. F- you want to just read? nine? I can't even see that far. Jeff, you're wow. You're <laughs> Good God, we're all old at AF. Nine four six space. How important? Five, five nine, nine two, two one. one. Oh two eight zero two eight one. Listen, what you're missing is both Jeff and I lean over at the same time and then lean back. This would be a much better YouTube. meeting. Meeting passcode. Hold on. Seven. <laughs> Go ahead. Seven oh three. Eight four four four. And listener, you know what? Why don't you join that Zoom call right now too and see what happens? See what happens. Wait, is that two fours? Eight four four. Seven oh three eight four four. Yeah. Yeah. You try this too, listener. Join the Zoom call and um, you say it three times fast. I did get. I got my eyes checked. Speaking of bad eyes, for the first time, it's those mushrooms you did. It is the mushrooms. At my peak, I was a twenty ten, slightly far sighted. That's fighter pilot vision, folks. Oops. And now it's like the light turns down a little bit, and I start squinting, holding my hands out, and it's not good. You know what sucks is getting old. You know what sucks is this podcast right now. It does not suck. You shut up. Okay, we so talked about we're Ozark. looking at we're looking at the meeting ID and passcode. Maybe it just says you're not authorized, regardless. Maybe do this. You guys, technology. Am I right? Well, we could just re-sign in under Andy or the Bros and do a forty-five minute knockout. Uh, on the flip side, what do you guys think about this? Uh, is marriage only official when you get a certificate, or can it be in your mind? I think it's all in Scott's mind. Yeah, I I I like the idea of dating right, right, Scott? in Scott's mind. I think it's complicated. I think the idea that oh, the state recognizes you as married is a little bit simplistic and we it's like a cultural thing like oh you're not married until you sign these documents like what if you've declared your love for somebody and you're both boundlessly in love with each other that doesn't count unless you get the papers but there's something about getting the papers that puts the stamp on it it's like here we're showing it for our friends and family and everyone else even the state even big brother that we love each other so much we love each other this much so I just rode the fence hard. Good talk. I think <laughs> keep riding it. <laughs> you don't so, think it, we're so focused on Andy's multitasking. I know. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm going to take the producer role now for a little bit. You ask it. the questions and then you don't answer the answers. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's an alley oop, and once you throw the ball, then you're out of the play. 
So it's up to you guys to dunk this one. Or what if it went off my forehead and back to you, but you weren't ready for it because you were already walking down the court? Then you're like Tom Chambers of the Phoenix Suns in 1987. Nice, Tom Chambers. By the way, if you just got here, listener, fast forward just a few more minutes. Just keep on trucking until you hear other voices besides Zach and Mushrooms. Oh, I heard a oh, noise. Oh, dinging. We've got ding. He gets the same message, which is... We don't know what the message is. Oh, the message is uh, authorized participants only. Oh, maybe he should create it. (laughs) No. Nope. Stand by. Okay. I'm I'm taking things into my own hands. Man, Annie's going to have to do some editing later. I'll look at my This is going to be... No. This is going to suck. It's done. Stop. Good, good we're, ta- we're taking things to the next level. Good talk, guys. Uh, guys, keep it interesting while I, I do this. Gar- I guarantee if I had gone on my account for Zoom, stuff's clicked that doesn't allow anybody but people with the email ending of my uh, what I've allowed, which is... Going back to related. Going back to Andy's <clears throat> question about marriage. Yeah, exciting stuff. Marriage. Is, let's get back to it. It is worth noting that um oftentimes people that are um more on the conservative spectrum of Christian are prone to say things like, I have a biblical view of marriage. And what the Bible what is that? does with marriage is a little more comp there's not like the the biblical view of like, oh, you get you go to the state, you get authorized, somebody signs it, there's a witness, and now you're and then you have a ceremony and you're married. It's a little bit uh a little think, different than that. I think two become two becomes one is better than anything. Yeah. Which which leaves a little bit stuff out there. It leaves a little bit of like, what does that mean? Thank you. Um but in the New Testament, when there are commands for people that are going to be in church leadership. It should be noted, like you should be a husband of one wife. What that implies is like people had more than one wife. There's, there's not an explicit command against polygamy in the Bible. And there was definitely polygamy going on in, in uh, different parts. I'm not making a claim that polygamy is ideal. I can't imagine that for myself. I've got one woman and she is plenty for me. Um, oh, we got something coming on. Yes, yeah, good to be a little technical difficulties, but I have more time than I usually would at this point of the day because my mother-in-law is in town. So I'm like, the schedules aren't as tight with little kids right now in the afternoon. I got some space. Yeah, nice. Oh, you're dealing with the sports thing. What's w- that? Was it soccer? You got soccer? soccer and just in general, you know, afternoon kids are at home. So you oh, yeah. shift into like that mode and, and how old are your kids? Five and three. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we high energy until they go to bed. Yeah. You need all hands on deck. <laughs> yeah. And where are you guys are in California, right? Yeah. yeah. And actually you have, uh, you have some rock Harbor connections. I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, Andy you? knows everyone around here, so 
I'm Zach, by the way, and this is Andy in the middle and Jeff. Zach and Andy and Jeff, gotcha. And we're we, real Jeff. quick, we're, we are missing Scott. He was a last minute uh, abort, and uh, mm. he's he represents kind of the conservative wing uh, theologically of Bros Bibles and Beer. So it's unfortunate because mm. he likes holding people's feet to the fire when they say yeah. heretical things. That's good. Yeah, I'll sit he, was in. Gonna, he was going to hold me accountable. <laughs> yes, I'll I'll sit in for for, uh, for Scott Scotty, tonight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm, mm. Are you guys in Orange County? We yeah. are. Yes. Mission Viejo. Nice. Oh, cool. There's a kid. Elisa Viejo. We're in one of the Viejos. Yeah, there's, All the Viejos. There's a young kid who's on the football team here at UH whose name's Zach, and he's from Mission Viejo, and he was around Imagine for some years. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, this big blonde kid. Yeah. he. I believe he went to Mission Viejo High School. Wow. Are yeah. you also yeah. a, a college student playing Football, Zach? It's in my DNA, I think. Wow. I'm a part of that. <laughs> you are two people. Um, so now w- w- let's just let's just go. But first off, we need to introduce who this person is. Well, Kevin Sweeney. Well, we did. There you go. That's it. That's, for, just, that's, that's it. Intro right Kevin, there. I will say we did we did do a little recording before this and talk. We mentioned your book, but I'm going to say it again, and we will say it again later on. Making of a Mystic: My Journey with Mushrooms. My life as a pastor and why it's okay for everyone to relax. And um, that that uh, is that out on the thirty first of May twenty. Yeah, May May thirty first. Okay. Yes, sir. All right, coming out. So oh, wait, wait, as oh. it is, it's, wait, yeah, you, we we've we fumbled through that. This is a book that is coming out. Yes, on and May thirty first through the magic of podcast tri- time travel. It might already be out, depending on when you listen to this. May thirty first, twenty twenty two. Nice. Wait, he, he's yes, a, a Kevin's a pastor and a mushroom. Well, Dude, what's happening here? He's both. Th- a, this is not. <laughs> he's not a mushroom, Jeff. And he's worse, a human being. And, a, <laughs> and, and Scott would say if he was here right Ridiculous. now. And we're supposed to relax. Yes. <laughs> well, the the most important thing I need to mention is um, how dare you? You've never seen a Star Wars movie. What? What's up with that? Is that still true? It's still true. What's your problem, I've never man? Seen, never seen a sh- I never watched them growing up. And then <laughs> I think by the time I was in my mid-20s, I eventually just said, you know, I've never watched it in an organic way. And now it's so fun to see people's reactions. I'm just never going to do it. So This I'm is the thing you my, took a stand dating, on? <laughs> that's it. A lot, of my, a lot of my other boundaries are very, are very fluid and permeable, <laughs> but that's the one thing I'm digging my heels on. And I'm actually white knuckling harder than ever. <laughs> Anti-Star Wars fundamentalist. <laughs> We'll see. My kids sometimes randomly bring up Baby Yoda because they see friends with stuff. So who knows? They could they could be the ones who could get me to cave one day. Although, just watch Empire Strikes Back. It's unlikely. Yeah, it's a weird line to draw. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kevin, can you give us just a little, um, just I guess a little snippet of of your life, like who you are, what you do, and and we'll dive into this. Yeah. First of all, I'm really, I'm grateful for the time, you know, as a first time author for people to invite me on, to take a chance, to take a risk, you know, it was really meaningful meet for me, not only because these are like steps towards the book, cause I'm in a transitional season of my whole life. I don't know if you got that from any of the media, but we're actually in the chapter of closing down the church. My wife and I started almost 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Whoa. Mm. 
Yeah. So, and I'm totally open about that. If anything naturally comes up, I'm more oh, yeah. than willing to talk about that. So it's a transition, the book, but it's also a transitional season. So all of these interviews and podcasts and conversations are all, I see small steps towards crossing over a threshold into like the next chapter of my life. So first of all, so grateful that you guys have me on. So, yeah. And yeah, I mean, the last 10 years, my wife and I. By the I way, feel were, free to walk that back at any point in time. Being grateful to be on this podcast. Yeah, we're still in progress. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, at the I end mean, of the I'm podcast, you invited me. I'm grateful you invited me on. That doesn't mean I'll be grateful at the end that we had this conversation. Yeah. I'm just this a starting point. We're gonna yeah. leave room for that. Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my current, you know, what the last season chapter of my life has felt like my wife and I moved back to Hawaii from Costa Mesa, where we lived for five years after we got married. We moved back here in the beginning of 2013 with this larger vision to start this new church in this neighborhood. There was this neighborhood I knew about plans for was, you know, we're in the unofficial arts district. I'm in downtown Honolulu right now, essentially. And like so many other people, I look ahead and say, some of these new cities and this new cultural moment requires this new and liberated and wider and broader pastoral imagination, I think, to be faithful to it and to do some interesting and creative things within it. And that's what we've been doing for about a decade and an amazing journey. The community is called Imagine. You know, if you're familiar with Walter Brueggemann at all, it kind of comes out of his prophetic imagination. You know, you have to be able to imagine new alternatives and invite those possibilities in the present. So yeah, neighborhood, in the community, all kinds of interesting things. My wife and I both surf and had a, some kids along the way. And yeah, my wife. Oh, that's weird. You live in practice. Hawaii and you surf? Yeah. That's strange. Hmm. I was like in Newport <laughs> for five years. I'm like, it's on shore by 8 a.m. Just get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. So the last 10 years, very hyper local i would say in the community in the neighborhood that kind of like very local parish oriented what does it look like to be a part of and grow up with the community so that's kind of where all of our energy has gone yeah it's been good and your wife is a pastor as well pastor as well also started a private practice in this neighborhood she's a marriage and family therapist so she's sort of the engine that got all this going, you know, even though I had more of the vision for it, she's that gatherer. She's the galvanizer and mobilizer in the heart of it. So she's phenomenal. So she really is a massive part of this whole thing. So, yeah. And what, what's, what's behind the imagine sort of closing down or is it closing down or is it transitioning to somebody else? Is it going to be somebody Mm. else, something else under somebody else? And uh, is that, what were the, what was the catalyst for that? Is that like partly you launching into authorship speaking that, that sort of thing? Yeah. Or was there something else going on? No, it's closing down, you know, so we're, we're shutting, we're like, you know, moving. We're actually this, this last Sunday, we have three more Sundays left for imagine. Yeah. Crazy times. And I think the bigger picture zoomed out thing is I always sensed I would do this for about 10 years. You know, I, if you're from, if you're, you or your listeners are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram five, which Mm -hmm. means being a lead pastor is my worst nightmare. 
You know, it's like you're always uh-huh. you're mobilizing. It's very event. You know, there's events happening. Even Sunday, even if it's a low production value, is still an event to a degree in terms of its organization. So that people like it took a lot of courage and a lot for me to continue to show up, which I loved. And I embraced that, you know, part of my life. And I'm so grateful I did, but I always sensed I would do it for about 10 years. And right at the seven ish year marker, we had just transitioned to a new space. It worked well. We were like, it was really exciting. And then COVID hit shut down 18 months of on off on new things once a month and this, that, and we, we started to reopen last October after not meeting for 18 months. And my wife and I thought it would be a last chapter. We're like, Hey, this is a rebuilding chapter for, you know, I see life cycles of two to three years when I was leading for about two to three years. And then we'll see what's after. We kind of sense that. And then about six weeks into it, I just started to get the sense of, Oh, this is the last chapter, uh. but it's not a rebuilding one. And it's actually the chapter shorter than I anticipated. And the metaphor for the church started to shift towards like prolonging life to hospice care. And there's a lot to that, but that was the thing of like, how do I commit to rebuild for two to three years when this 10 year thing I've sensed in a, in a loose way is coming, you know, close. And we just sensed like that was a long chapter of our life that we're grateful for. And I'm really thankful my wife and I, did not carry the unnecessary burden of feeling like if the church did not exist in perpetuity, that somehow it was devalued. We were like that, that was that thing. That was that 10 years. That, and that's a big deal. I don't say that lightly. 10 years of starting something from the ground up is a lot. You give a lot to it. Yeah. And as much grief and letting go as there is required to transition, practice acceptance, let go and move on well. And that's all very real. And that chapter of my life, October, November, December, coming to terms with that was maybe the hardest of, you know, my adult life. It was very difficult, but also now is, you know, there's an excitement and an energy and an imagination for the future. So somehow always comes back to letting go. And yeah. so that always opens up the path for a future. Nice. Well, yeah. let's talk about, uh, let's talk about how you make a mystic. Um, <laughs> I, I think, um, there's a lot of a lot of our listeners probably don't have experience with uh, hallucinogens, um, mm. but given the title of your book, as I was reading it, I was um, a little surprised at how quickly I don't know if it's quickly, but there's the mushroom part, and then you get to your life after. Like the mushrooms are a small part of it. Yeah. Uh, in that, you know, spoiler alert you're not a, con- unless something has changed, uh, you're not a continuous user of psilocybin. Uh, Correct. And, and uh, you describe mushrooms as a missionary. So mm-hmm. why don't we get into that a little bit? And uh, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised how it's like mushrooms and now that's gone. Or mm-hmm. not gone, but that's, that was a part of me then and now I'm moving forward. Take us through a little bit of that. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And that's, I would give some disclaimers when I would reach out to people on the podcast. Cause I would want them to know that, you know mm. what I'm saying? It's like, that was that this is none of the book is prescriptive in that sense. It's very descriptive. It's me owning the fullness of my own journey. And even the title, I'm like, ah, oh, this might give some people the wrong idea, which I accept because I'm not interested in controlling that perception of, of, of me. 
But you're, you're absolutely right. Like I have, as you mentioned, I have a chapter in the book called Mushrooms as Missionaries. And so I tell a story in that book of a young Thomas Merton, you know, one of the great mystic, the great contemplative of the 20th century. From my perspective, as audacious as it sounds, was responsible in large part for reintroducing the contemplative stream to the larger river of faith in, the West, in Western culture in the 20th century. But early in his awakening experience, there was a, a very well-known Hindu monk and priest named Mahanambrata Brahmachari, who was visiting from India, I believe, to lecture, I think, at some divinity schools here. And a young Merton found him, you know, where he was going. And it's probably like, you know, like at an evangelical conference, how you're like, let's go talk to the to the guy. No, there's a room. Go, go, go. Yeah, oh, yeah, dang yeah. it. He's, you know, it's like Merton had his own moment with this Hindu monk with that. And what's fascinating is when he when he was getting closer to his awakening and he asked for guidance, this Hindu monk did not have Merton read the Bhagavad Gita or his own sacred text. He had Merton read, he told him to read St. Augustine's Confessions and Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ. And I think that's so interesting. It's so wise to do that. But let's say that those got integrated into Merton's journey and he becomes this profound Christian. Well, I say, well, then that that monk was this unexpected missionary for Jesus or this missionary for Christ pointing Merton towards the fullness of life, towards the fullness of truth in Christ. And he was pointing him beyond himself towards that. And when I tell that story, I do tell people like, let's suspend for a moment from what I see is the urgent need to disentangle that word missionary from all of its colonial white supremacist colonizing empire building sort of knot that it's tied up in. I do my own work of dismantling, disentangling that. I hope everybody embraces that more and more. But the humble and good part of that is a missionary is pointing someone beyond themselves towards something larger. That's a beautiful thing. And right. I say in the same way that monk was a missionary for Merton, mushrooms were a missionary for me pointing me beyond themselves towards the fullness of life in Christ and towards, you know, it was like the mushrooms were a signpost pointing me to a future I couldn't see, to this freedom I desired but wasn't sure existed, and to this truth that I hoped for but knew wasn't guaranteed on my own quest for truth at that age. And it was like the mushrooms kept saying to me, yes, but keep going. How old were you when that, when that happened, when you encountered that? Experience. That was from 16, 17, and 18. <laughs> so that's interesting because I, uh, what you described there, like I'm trying to rewind in my own life here. And, and you know, at 16, 17, and 18, my, I, I don't know if I would, could honestly say that the things that I was interested in were, were what is the deeper meaning of life for me and what is God's plan for me at that, at that stage? Maybe to some small degree, but. It does seem it's like an advanced emotional IQ spiritually for that for that age, like more than the average person. Like, what was there a what was there a catalyst? Were you that intentional going into using mushrooms? Like, what was going on with that, or was it yeah, just one, like you wanted to get high? Yes, when I was sixteen, the first time I did mushrooms, it wasn't like, "Hey, squirrel," which was like my best friend at the time. I'm on a conscious quest for truth. I think the mushrooms are going to help. I'm <laughs> quick, like, quick no, pause. We, of course, the guy you got high with was named Squirrel. Right. Of course Absolutely. he was. It sounds out of central casting. For uh, sure. yeah. Of course. What should his name be? Squirrel. Yeah. Who else? 
Um, Derek. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, it was, oh, no, we're 16 years old and we do drugs. And this is the next one I'm going to try. And it wasn't the first one that I tried. And so it started like that. But for me, it 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 rather quickly evolved or morphed into something different. Like my friends were just getting high and tripping out. That's fine. I was getting high and tripping out, but also, you know, the writer George Bernard Shaw says the only thing worse than not getting what you want is getting what you want. Right. Or if you, I don't know if you've heard that Merton quote where Merton says, most people spend the first 35 years of their life climbing the ladder to get to the top only to realize the ladder was propped up against the wrong building. Right. That shock quote is dark though, man. Like it is, but you're effed. If you do, you're effed. If you don't, I mean, that's all the question is for, for me, that one, the issue is not, are you getting what you want, but who is the foundational eye that is doing the wanting? Cause if it is the ego sense of self that has still has all these illusions if I have more people who, who see me, that means I'm loved. That's an illusion. If I finally get a form of success that the culture's conditioned me to think I'll be whole, that's an illusion. Like that to me, that is exposing the illusions. And that's what happened to me as a teenager. I was like, dude, I have everything someone like me, not like good kids, but someone like me would want. I have drugs and money. And I was supposed to play basketball in college. And I was supposed, I was getting involved in music. I was like, I'm doing it. And yet I'm not happy. That's why the Augustine quote of, you know, and it's also from the Psalms as well. My soul is restless until it rests in you. That's a big theme for my life. So the illusions the I have everything, but I'm restless and unhappy. Those led me to be like, well, if it's not this, what are these deeper questions that I'm asking to get back to your original question? That's what was driving me at that time. If it's not this, then what's happening here? Yeah. Which is still impressive at like 16, 17, 18 to like have a, have the ability at some point in your psyche to, to recognize that there's something underneath the, the surface that I've actually got to delve into. Cause mm-hmm. uh, like, yeah, again, as a 16, 17, 18 year old, the surface is where I lived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And that, and that, that's, but that's a part of like my story or a defining part is I went so deep into myself that I found God and found myself in God, et cetera, et cetera. So my journey was one of radical self-awareness that led me to the depths of my own sense of self and what that was and what was driving my ego and why do I need so much approval from others? Oh, you mean everything I do is driven by the need for approval? That's, that's, that's destabilizing and unnerving to see everything you do is driven by that. What else is there? And so I agree. It was a unique journey. You know, at that age, I wasn't talking to other people about this. I didn't, I never heard of a youth group growing up. I didn't have any guides Mm. like that. I had this sense of, I might be coming unhinged as I smoke blunts and think about these things and talk out loud to myself about all this and the drugs and uh, isolating myself. This might be a, you know, I could be kind of starting to lose it, but at a deeper level, I was like, I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm getting close to whatever it is I'm seeking. I'm getting close and I can feel it. That's interesting though. Do you think like if you lift that mindset, and apply it to anything else for any other 16, 17, 18 year old, how many adults would look at that and go, sure you do. Hey, look, I know what I'm doing when it comes to crypto investing. (laughs) Sure you do. (laughs) I know what it, I know what I'm doing when I'm dropping out of high school because I'm going to pursue my independent startup career. Sure you do. Right. 
Even though, even though I did graduate high school, I probably had like a 1.2, but I graduated. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> no, that- I graduated and, uh, you know, and that, you know, that's a great question. And I think in the spiritual journey in our life with God, as we grow and evolve the, the, the center, the location of authority and feeling confidence and having a compass has to transition from external forces to something within you. Like to me, the power of the spirit is the spirit has the authorizing power to actually validate and authorize the truth of your own journey. Right. And I didn't have those external authorities to tell me what I was doing was like, I feel like at 15, I was unconsciously looking out at the world. Like I wish someone would come alongside of me, put their hand on my shoulder and say, Hey, like, you're going to be okay. Just keep going. But I didn't have that. And I had to trust that inner compass as audacious, insane, pretentious, arrogant, as all of that would have seemed at a one level. I was like, this all just is too real. And what I'm seeing is too true. And even though I don't know with certainty, like I know what I'm pursuing and I know the illusions I've seen through aren't real and I have to keep going on this journey. So it was there. It's, I mean, I'm sure there were some scary times for me and there was some dark times towards that, but I just had this sense of like, I know what I'm doing and I, I, I'm getting close. So can we, maybe perhaps, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So can we, can we back up a little bit then? Cause, uh, so walk us through this because I feel like we've skipped a little, a few steps. Walk us through. We're going through my life in reverse. I'm like, here's where I, I know, passed through. Right. Yeah, I know. Eighteen and at five, it's a Tarantino. It's a Tarantino <laughs> podcast. It's like a cool movie. It's yeah. like a cool movie. <laughs> Wait, it's, I, I uh, I've been sitting listening, trying to f- find an entry point into this conversation. And is any of this from? I mean, obviously, your perspective, a Holy Spirit thing mm. um, is mm. is it did you just ask is a question on top of my question you just asked a question on top of my question uh, because i i'm i'm trying to process and it's I'm like, like a layer cake i'm thinking this would be this conversation would be way better with kevin if we were at a coffee house and we were just mm. having this you know discussion because i get so many things traveling through my mind about your this uh path that you've taken and i'm like is what your words coming out are the same thoughts, but different words. And I'm like, is this Holy Spirit talk? Like you feel like you've been led. I absolutely you feel like you're beyond and you know, this is right. One of, us, one of us, one of us is on mushrooms right now, <laughs> but you can't quite put your <laughs> finger on it. Right. Just one of us, Kevin, mm, you totally. can't put your finger on it, but you know, no, this, this is the path I'm going. And I know there's something good down this path. I just can't tell you what it is. And I, mm. are we, yeah, no, that's a, are we that's in the a ballpark? great question. Absolutely. And you know, Kierkegaard says we live our life forwards and understand it backwards. And so those inclinations, those senses that, huh, I kind of feel like I know without certainty, but this deeper bodily heart knowing of where I'm going. And I believe the spirit is that which continues to invite us and draw us forward in the world towards more growth, mm-hmm. change, life, etc. So to me, that is all the uniqueness of the life of the spirit in the world. And I would even argue the uniqueness of, and why I love the incarnation so much is the incarnation of Jesus is not just 
spirit and matter and God was fully present here, but there's incarnational moments. Life itself to me is incarnation or where the fullness of spirit and matter are alive and bursting out everywhere around us all the time for those who have eyes to see. So when I look back at my journey, it was the spirit beckoning, calling, inviting me as I'm finding my way through the dark, you know, responding. It was a responding to a beckoning. That's in one one way to put it. And to me, that is the spirit and how the spirit invites and calls us. So, so can you walk yes. us through, like, take us through the day, night. We all know it's the night. That's when this stuff happens. Uh, walk us through when when you first had the first encounter and where you realized, wait a minute, there's something a little bit more of this. And I guess I'm making some assumptions here that, that there was times before that. Maybe there wasn't, but but when, mm-hmm. at whatever point in time it was, you all of a sudden, things started connecting beyond what uh, maybe your friends were experiencing. Yeah. Well, there were, do you mean like when I would argue, like when I had that awakening moment with God yeah. or just the sensing? Okay. Uh, well, well, yeah. Sorry, finish your sentence. The sensing... Well, I think the sensing is that's the chapter is mushrooms and missionaries, right? I, I say in the mushroom experience and in my life, I kept, I kept sensing them saying yes, but keep going. It was like, I was getting a glimpse of the goal. It was a sign pointing me beyond itself. So I have a, this sense of I'm getting close, right? And I could feel like I'm getting more wisdom and I'm seeing things, but I haven't got there. There's still this journey ahead. And all right. So, so that was, okay. So let's, let's describe that, like set that scene a little bit for us a little bit. So you're 16, 17 years old at this point in time. And so the initial night when I have what I call this spontaneous awakening moment, like my life, my faith, the good. life of a mystic is defined by direct experience of the sacred. Right. Say that so one more the, time. The myst- say that one more time. Like the life of the mystic. If someone says, "Well, what is a mystic?" In one level, I say a mystic's life is defined by direct experience of the sacred. It's it's an, an immediacy in the heart. Is is pure union with the divine that oftentimes will transcend people's belief systems or cultural conventional. It ways transcends seeing, language right? often, which is Absolutely. why when you try to describe you, know, it, you you try to describe it in the book, and I think you do a a good job. I've had Thank you. a close encounter with sort of a mystic experience where you you try to describe what it was what it meant to you and you just you, it just falls short like you can't quite Absolutely. get there at least for yes. me yeah and so the night this experience happened which for me was a very the movement forward was subtle. The experience was profound and radical and felt and completely changed my life in a moment. And so that night, so this is Christmas break. If you really want details, this is yeah, Christmas yeah, break, my senior year. Christmas break, my senior year. That semester was a very, the darkest moment in my life because that summer before my senior year of high school, I fell in love with the girl. She admitted her love to me. I said, oh my gosh, I love you too. It was like, I've never had that kind of pure, that kind of pure form of connection. After we have a magical summer, she moves away to Hawaii. I'm in Los Angeles by myself. We see other people, but we're still hoping for us in the end. It was really hard. And my life was very dark and I was getting closer, but also getting more isolated. And that's, it was was a hard time. She comes back Christmas break. We reconnect. She's like, I still want this. And I'm like, "Uh, I was scared to ask, but I want this too. And then we reconnect and it's magical. And now we're married by the way, you know, 20 years later. Nice. And 
so I have this burst of light into my life as she comes back, right? This real felt experience of love and reconnection where I knew at 18, just like that moment with God, I was like, I love her and I'm going to be with her. And as crazy as it would sound at that point, you know, like you said, to be that young, I also was like, I'm going to love her the rest of my life. I know it. Yeah. So New Year's Eve, magical moment. I'm eating mushrooms. I'm with my girlfriend. I have this <laughs> profound moment where I'm like, I love this person and I'm going to give my life to love them, which is my perspective of romantic love. I feel is different from when I hear people talk about it because it was never, I love what she does for me. I love us. It was no, I've just come to this radical conclusion. I love her and now I'm going to do that forever. That's how I've seen it. And so, which to me sounds like covenantal love, by the way, and Old Testament faithfulness, it all sounds similar to me. Sure, but and, but most people would probably like pause you there and say, yeah, but it also feels a little bit manipulated. Like you were in a state where maybe you were not, uh, not, not. And I, and I think that's, and that's totally fair. But when you've had those experiences, even if you're on psychedelics, you're like, but I, I'm having to trust that what I've seen is real. And when it feels that when it feels, and I think, think the same six months later when I haven't done it, then there's some truth that's lingering there. Right. Ooh, can I ask, so, can I ask you this question then? Do you think yeah. that all of the things that you've seen and experienced while on psychedelics were real? No. Because I've had crazy visuals while I was on mushrooms. Like I blacked out once and woke up and couldn't see for a second and thought I was blind. I've seen walls turn inside out. I've seen entertainment setters bend with me as I move. So no, what I've seen in, in a visual sense, of course not. But when I say seeing with this deeper like eye of the heart or a sensing and bodily knowing or whatever, there's certain moments where I'm like, let's say if I saw something, a w- some wisdom of, Oh, I've, I never saw with clarity how much I'm driven by the approval, the need for approval from others. That's, that feels real to me that I'm sensing that is really true about my life. So different kinds of seeing and knowing right so there. Just, just in other ways too, like when people encounter those sorts of things, um, oftentimes they'll, they'll init- maybe initially label it as the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I feel like the Holy mm. Spirit is telling me this. And then there's other ways for them to be able to test those things, right? They'll, they'll typically mm. go, I think this is a thing. I think this is good. And is it the the most obvious ways are, well, I'll check it against scripture. Does it feel like, Mm. is it conflicting in any way with scripture? Sure. Or, or is it supported? And then the other side of it is, uh, or the third, like the third leg of the stool is, are there others who I trust who I know are wise, love God, have, have, have kind of proven themselves in wisdom and do they also kind of support this thing too? These, these tend to be like the three sort of the areas. And so is that, is that also a process for you when you're, when you're like trying to interpret these sorts of experiences? Not back then. Cause I didn't have those things You didn't have, or those people maybe. Right. I didn't have people I trusted and looked to like that. Right. I didn't have any sense of, let me look to the Bible. Like I didn't really have that, you know, at all. But now it's like, of course, there's, you know, as a Christian, the biblical tradition, the unique kind of word that it is and the way it's inspired. There's for me as a mystic, the perennial tradition of mystics that transcends, you know, the Christian tradition, but includes them. There's, you know, sure, depending on decisions I make, you know, people I love, like when I'm pastoring, you know, I have a friend in Costa Mesa, Phil Wood, who was a pastor at Redemption Church for a long time, you know, who I helped start that church with him. <laughs> of course. No I, knew, yeah. Andy, I knew there would be a connection. Oh my gosh. No way. Yes. And so Phil's like one of my best friends, you know? Yeah. So 
as we were doing imagine it's like he offered me you know a ton of guidance on stuff like that so as i've gotten older yeah the uh the cloud of witnesses you know this the way my i interact with the bible that's changed but at that point i didn't have that i had to I had to trust what I, what I saw and what felt real and, and, and even see the fruit of it. Oh, this is leading me towards truth. This is leading me beyond things that are no longer helping me. So anyways, and feel free to keep interrupting me. Yeah. Sorry. It's no, so no. Fu- it's, no, man, no, it's good. So that night. So, you know, I have that profound experience New Year's Eve, right? Cool connection. My girlfriend, now my wife, this is powerful. Two nights later, I think to myself, dude, I want to eat mushrooms again. And a part of that was because it's the only time I ever felt at peace in my life. Ever, you know, and do you we, feel, I've been spoken weeks. And do you feel at that ahead. point in your life, were you escaping things? Was that because, because, I mean, that statement implies that you weren't feeling peace anywhere else in your life. Absolutely not. No, so... The answer to your question is totally like we had a saying growing up smoking weed, like we don't smoke weed to get high. We smoke weed to get by. Mm. I couldn't go to sleep without getting high. You know, I drank super heavily, you know, did other drugs as they came around, you know, thankfully never was like had an extreme addiction or a real addiction with other drugs. But the mushrooms was, yeah, it was the only time I felt at peace. So it was a way, absolutely weed, alcohol, that was a way of coping with that which was unsettled within me. And, and that was a part of my journey was I knew that. I was like, I'm not, I'll get to a point, I'm not denying that, yeah. you know? And that's why I want to be liberated from this. I just don't know how. And so... So while you're in the middle of it, you're recognizing that it's a coping mechanism. Absolutely. And you're hoping I that just it's, need it. You're hoping that it's temporary. And I'm so tired of it, but I just need it. Mm. I'm like, I don't want to be here forever, but I don't see a way. I don't, I don't know. You don't have an alternative. I'm not just looking to get sober. I'm looking for truth, you know? And I think sobriety could, would be a byproduct of that. Sobriety wasn't the goal. It would be a byproduct of truth and aligning myself with whatever was real. That's probably more how I was thinking. And so, you know, two nights after New Year's Eve, I'm like, dude, I want to eat mushrooms again, you know? Cause I just was, I want to, I love it. And it's the only time I feel at peace, et cetera. So squirrel comes to my house. I'm like, dude, we had the plug at the time. I'm like, we're going to eat mushrooms again. He's like, cool. I eat mine, which there was no microdosing back then. This is large macro. This right. is real shrooming, you know? And so it's like, whole I eat all my mushrooms. Nice. <laughs> Bro, it was, it was a lot. And I felt invincible because I had done them quite a bit. So my friends, like, I don't want to finish mine. I'm like, cool. I'm going to eat all those too. And then you know, usually on mushrooms, you peak at like an hour and a half, 45 minutes in, I was like starting to have a bad trip to the point where like, if I didn't flex my body, like where I'm physically trying to fight off the trip, my, my, if, like my body would start to like melt. And it was almost like my motor skills would start to loosen. And I would kind of like just start to melt. And I was, I looked at squirrel and I just like, I said, Hey, I don't feel right. And he just looked at me dead in my in my eyes. And he was like, dude, me neither. I was like, that's not what you're supposed to say right, <laughs> right now, right. bro. You're supposed help to me help out. me. Help me out. And I thought I need to go to a hospital. I need to be, have a straight jacket. I need to be strapped to a bed and be under professional medical watch. And I don't care if I get arrested because I'm going to die. I think I've, I think I might die right now. And then something within me was like, call Christine, call Christine. That was my girlfriend at the time who I'm now married to call Christine. And this is almost one in the morning and my wife's parents, you know, are from Vietnam and they don't like, 
I'm going to come over me and another crazy white kid. We're all freaking out. It's not a good look for her at all. And finally she relented and I came over and, you know, she, we were all talking and I started to calm down was still very much shrooming, but started to calm. And my girlfriend falls asleep. My friend squirrels in his own world, just thinking, I don't know. And then I laid there on that bed. That's probably what it what it was. He was a DJ. That was his first album, actually. <laughs> really? Well, guys, yeah. I'm no, just, I'm just a squirrel just kidding. trying to get a nut. <laughs> that would have exactly. been amazing. <laughs> and he's all in this case. The nut would be psychedelic. Yeah, right. And by nut, and, I mean. <laughs> and you know that that moment was. I laid there for the next couple of hours and could almost physically. It was emotional, psychological, spiritual, almost physical. I could feel light. What I, this is how I would have interpreted it at the time. I could feel light and love and life being enveloped in my entire sense of being. It was, but that's you know, interesting the, because the, you were scared too. And that is a fact. And what's, what's so funny about, and what I love about my experience and what I love about the Bible is there was things that I would experience that later on I read in the scriptures. And I'm like, Oh, that makes sense. Like the truth that I see in scripture resonates with the truth that I sense. It's just now giving me language and drawing me deeper into a story, you know, this, the story of Christ. So, yeah. you know, what do people say, you know, when, right. When you think things are over, things have just begun. You know, Frederick Buchner says the resurrection means the last thing or the worst thing is never the last thing. So for me, it makes a lot of sense that I was terrified and feeling like I was going to die and enveloped by darkness right before the light was born in my life in a new way. And so to me, that, that story just makes a lot of sense to me. And that moment was I got up from that bed where it was like, I say this in the intro, I think the foundation, the beginning point of my faith was a universal yes to my life, pure affirmation and grace and the affirmative presence of love through me and in me and for me, right? This, that unconditional embrace and acceptance is the foundation, not a belief system, not here's what I believe about Jesus. It wasn't metaphysical. It was direct. That's the mystical. It's the direct experience. And when I got up from that with my limited religious language at the time, I thought to myself, this was a rebirth. Hmm. And I remember going home that night and my parents came to pick me up at four in the morning or something. And I remember going home thinking to myself, it's not that I'm having different thoughts about life, although I am, it's actually the very foundational sense of I has been radically transformed. That's the difference between changing your beliefs and transformation of consciousness itself. Transformation of consciousness as an integral theory and the way people use it is not oh, you're changing your beliefs and how you view reality. Transformation of consciousness is the very self that is doing the believing and doing the thinking has been transformed at a deep level. That's a, To me, that's the difference between translating the world differently or a, a radical transformation of your very foundational sense of self. And so I, after that, I walked away from basketball. I walked away from music. I walked away and disappointed almost everybody in my life who didn't, who would have thought, who thought I was crazy for leaving. And I moved to Hawaii to be with my girlfriend and to be like, I'm giving my life because everything I'm searched for, I just encountered and I met God and I knew it. And my whole life has been a response to that moment still to this day. Awesome. 
any, that, yes, any re- that is the most detailed version of that story <laughs> I shared in any podcast, by the way. That's Usually what we I do. say it's in the book, so go read it. <laughs> you know what? Welcome to the most awesome podcast in the world. <laughs> <laughs> any regrets? When it comes to mushrooms specifically or no. my life as a whole? Yeah. I mean, just or maybe. moving sure. any of the above. Yes. I mean, not the... No. Do you regret anything in your life at all, Kevin? <laughs> I mean, you know. I mean, getting or, up... Getting or up are and, you a narcissist? Getting up and going <laughs> and saying, I'm I'm not cutting ties, but I'm going in this direction and you left everything behind. Oh, not at all. That was the only real good, loving, truthful decision I could have made at that time because... I was like, I don't really love basketball. My ego just needs it for a sense of validation. Sure. I don't really love music. I just need what it does for my ego. That None of that was real compared to the love that I experienced in God and to the love that I shared with my girlfriend at the time. And I was willing to forsake every single thing in my life and give it all up to do that. And uh, no, uh, that was that was the only decision. That was the only authentic decision I could have made. And I love it. Which is interesting because um, I think a lot of times... I, I like people who will make the argument against um, there are good things in in your life, and and oftentimes I've hear I've heard people say that that they will reject those those good things in their lives. Uh, we can pick basketball and music; those are both things that were, and well, music more than basketball because I'm old and I suck at basketball now. Yeah. <laughs> we're important in my life, not lightning when we're playing against the kids. Yeah, exactly. I can, I can smoke. Uh, I can smoke an eighth grader in lightning. <laughs> but um but but there is this interesting concept of like the denial of the things that that you love and that you enjoy and and doing so in 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 the spirit or in the voice of saying God is calling me to something extra and something more and something better and mm. and I often wonder like what you've described is not the first time I've heard someone describe something like that before and and mm-hmm. And I've had varying degrees of responses to that. One is it seems true and accurate, and I and I get where you're coming from. The other part is, yeah, but there's part of you that loved that, and if God loves you and God and God made you, God made the part of you that loves that thing too. Why would you reject that thing, especially if you're good at it? Because He's created you mm-hmm. and has created something in you that is good at that thing and that that is fulfilled mm-hmm. by that thing. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. leaving out the point that you no, no, sort no. of described, which is. There's a perversion of that, which you know fills maybe fills the wrong bucket, mm-hmm. but uh, but I don't know. I, as you were describing that, those yeah. there's some thoughts that came to mind. Yeah, no, I think those are legitimate. And through our church, we've had an interesting wave of college athletes who have been a part of Imagine over the years, and we have these conversations. Yeah. You know, there's for me the issue is sports is a great thing. You know, I love sports and music is a, is a great thing. I love art as well. And, but for me, I knew I no longer, it was no longer, I just love this. It was, this has morphed into, this is just something I, this is a lot of cultural expectations on me to keep going. Mm -hmm. And I just, without it, who am I? And my sense of self was tied up in it. So when I left, I was, I didn't care, you know, I wasn't like, Oh my gosh, I should go back. And I mean, sometimes when I moved to Hawaii and I was invisible and nobody knew me, my ego would think, well, I could just play basketball and get people to see me again. Like I would have, my ego would be tempted in those ways, but sometimes 
Which is true, but, but you're a white guy, so how good could, good could you be at basketball? So, I mean, I was one of the leading scorers in Southern California at the time, yeah. so, you know. Well, you know. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, you know, I should I'm 37 go now, so. Find my ring somewhere hey, next back time, here. Next time, you're in Southern, <laughs> next time you're in Southern California, let's do some lightning together. Come yeah, on. exactly. Come on, bring we, it. Hey, I'm still, when I when I come back, I'm still around Costa Mesa. I'm still around. We're right the, there. And, be, you know, I still, uh, my stamina is very low. No, same. But you give me one 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 on one game, just one to eleven. I, I build, I peak, and I go down in one game. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's great. No, that's good, but we'll smoke you. But yes, the uh you know the the regrets of leaving, no, because you know, Thomas Merton, I, I quote him in the in the intro to the book, and he it's I forget the exact quote, but it's like it as long as we're seeking paradise outside of ourselves or outside of God, we'll never be at peace. Like that's a total, like putting quotes together, but that was my journey. And I was like, I don't no longer, my ego no longer needs what basketball did for me because of what I've experienced. And so to answer that question, no regrets as a whole in my life, the mushrooms is my story, you know, and it's, I think it's hilarious and I think it's a unique thing. And I, I am, I just own the fullness of my life on a real answer. I will say after leading a church for about a decade and start and getting ready to close it down. As you're looking back at the story, it's allowing yourself to have the grace to say, I did that imperfectly. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, Hey, there's not massive ways I've, you know, I need to go make right with people. But when you talk about regrets, it's like not regrets, but you're like, Hey, I led imperfectly. And there's mistakes I made and hurt that I've caused people along the way, just through the interpersonal. And I don't, you don't regret it, but you're like, that's, that's tough. You know, you, I have to allow myself to do that imperfectly in order to be faithful to what I sense God calling me to do. So that's the real answer to that, you know, not regrets, but you do have to come to terms with and accept the imperfect. Like Cornell West says, we're just crooked. We just are crooked people trying to love our crooked neighbors with our own crooked hearts. And I'm like, that's the best we can do. And and that's what we do. Yeah. By the way, there's nothing wrong with having regrets. I think, mm. I think that you, the moment that you don't have regrets, then <laughs> you are living. An, it's a warning sign. It's an ultra narcissistic uh, approach because you believe that you can do no wrong and you can't make mistakes. And it's okay to look back and then go, mm. that was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. I can regret that moment and at the same time grow from it and go, I'll try to not do that again. Mm. That yeah. was terrible. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that, no, uh, yeah, definitely. That makes sense. No regrets. <laughs> mm. Kevin, do you have I, th- I think, I think, oh, sorry. No, I go think ahead. That's, that's very insightful. And, and I agree with you on that. To me, why I wouldn't, when you use that word regret like that, then I would say yes. Yeah. You know, when you use it the way you just did, if regret implies a form of non-acceptance that keeps you in any form of shame or guilt and stuck, then that is where I wouldn't use that word. So I'm with you on that. And that's fair by the way, because oftentimes those things get really intertwined and it's hard to decouple them, right? It's hard to decouple a regret from shame that extends out and like stays with you. And Mm. so, Mm. If you can get to a place where you feel like it's fair to say, boy, that 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 was a bad decision. I can objectively mm-hmm. like say that was a bad decision back then. And in the same breath go, I've actively not made that bad decision since then. 
and mm. and I feel good about the decisions that I made. Mm. And and still, again, looking back at it and going, not a good decision. Mm. I regret making that decision at the time because it didn't bring fruitful things. Like, mm. yeah, I, I just, I, I really always struggle and push back against anyone who says, I live a life with no regrets. I'm like, you live a life that is disconnected from reality. <laughs> right. Yeah, then in that sense, I think if regret is about taking ownership of and acknowledging the mistakes you've made sure. and be like, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't want to do that. Then definitely, you know, you can be like, Oh man, then I think that makes sense. I think when there's the regret, like I said, with, without a lack of forgiveness and compassion where you're stuck there, mistake and experience grace afterwards and have the new life that comes from receiving forgiveness Then that when people use that sense of yeah. the word, well, no, cause I'm not, stuck on those things. You know, I can let myself be forgiven, you know, for, for being imperfect, but if regret is the acknowledgement ownership, then I'm with you on that. Yeah. I guess, I guess part of my, my thought process was if you're being led by the decision of kind of in a mystic way, like I'm, this is the direction I should go. This is the decision I should make. It's kind of like someone who like, I heard the Holy spirit tell me to, sell everything and, you know, give it away and go and do this. And then two years later, you're like, I regret doing this. This did not work out kind Mm. of moment. So I I just don't know if that's, if you've led, you know, ever since you were 17, 18, if you've led your life completely like that, or if you've had dry times over, you know, the years Mm. where you Mm. kind of feel like, you know what, where I, where I was going, I kind of fell off the wagon and I've had to get back on again. And has, have there been moments like that where you look back? Um, or are you, you leading know, your it, life it, that way? Are you leading your life totally mystically, you know, from the spirit? Um, well, I mean, Everybody, regardless of the degree of union connection we have with God is, is making mistakes in life, you know, without a doubt. That's, that's just a part of this thing. We do this all imperfectly. Sure. Um, I think the way I make decisions is very, even in my life right now, do I know with certainty that God is calling me into a new season? Do right. I know with certainty that God is? No, of course not. Mm-hmm. To me, the only the the only environment for a real decision is uncertainty. And so, when you have more like let's say Pentecostal ish types, it doesn't only have to be Pentecostal ish folks who are like, I know with certainty the Holy Spirit told me to do this. Right. That's not how I make decisions. I'm like, it's a sensing, it's a re- it's a responding with the humility of I don't even I don't right. really know exactly the specific thing. I'm, I don't even think about this is what I'm supposed to do. I think about who am I? What is the spirit doing in this world? Oh, healing, reconciling, justice, calling people to him, et cetera. Oh, so like when Rumi says, there's a thousand ways to kneel and kiss the ground. I'm like, there's a thousand ways to create and build beautiful things in this world in, mm-hmm. in alignment with God. And I don't have the, I don't operate with that need for certainty of the Holy spirit told me, I'm like, no, this is what I sense the spirit doing. This is what I want. I, a lot of it is learning to trust your own desires as you've been transformed. If I want this and this is serving others, why would it be bad? I could choose a thousand different things to do in my life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What's, and what's the, what is the fruit 
Like what, what kind of fruit is it bearing? Is it, is it leading to, exactly. to new life and, and love and light in people's life? Um, yeah. How can it be wrong if that's how you're going through the decisions you make? Right. Yeah. I, and that's where I think we all have a lot more creative freedom to choose what we want to do, how we want to love and yeah. how we're going to build in this world. That's the beautiful thing about, you know, a lot of evangelicals, their, their lives are changed. Like when they first read NT, right. You know, it's like new creation. There's a larger story. It's not just individual salvation. That's a great thing. You know, I, right. I had that, you know, at whatever point in my life, but the beautiful thing about understanding that larger story is, Oh, there's this larger story in the world where the spirit is working towards connection, reconciliation, justice, et cetera. And you're like, now that we've seen the story, how do you and the uniqueness of who you are and what you love and how you want to build, want to contribute to that? And I think there's a, a million ways for each one of us to do that in any moment in our lives. Oh, I'm yeah. not looking for the spirit to tell me what to do next. Like, I just don't think like that. Right. You know, I'm like, and oh, I, this is where I, this is where I think I'm going, you know, and this is what I sense is good mm -hmm. and cool. Yeah. And I, I've, I know plenty of people that are just like almost paralyzed because they're like, what does God need me to do? Like, there's only like, there's one thing God has for me and I just don't know what it is. And it's like the overthinking and it's almost paralysis by analysis. And mm. when it's like, what do you love to do? And how can that mm. bring more love and light into the world? Mm. Do that and which, then see what happens. Which is kind of the point that I was alluding to a little bit is that oftentimes when we feel those things that we're, excited and energized by and if it is if it is a positive thing oftentimes it's not crazy to think hey god god can use those things that he's inspired you by and that you care about and love to do great things that that can be a thing that is of god what you kind of described kevin was like this was so, sort of something that was feeding a beast that was didn't feel like it was of god when it came to mm. music and and to basketball mm. um mm. but uh which is fair, which is fair. And it's not, and it's mm. not to say that everyone experiences that the same way, but totally, but, but I do, I do think that there's an interesting thing where like my wife and I talk about this a lot where it's, um, you know, you're be, being made in the image of God and, and that God has designed you. And, and, and we've had this discussion where, where it can be construed in a way to feel limiting as a Christian, like, Oh, mm. I'm only the thing, I guess I'm only the thing that God made me. And if I really, if I felt drawn towards being someone who was a painter, but somehow I learned that God didn't want me to be a painter, I guess I can't be a painter. You know, mm. how it like sets up this like sort of false dilemma, yeah. so to speak, where we, we feel, uh, we feel conflicted internally. And, and so that's kind of why I was like pushing on that a little bit. Cause I was, yeah, I yeah, was curious yeah, that about that because I think a lot of times, Christians will set up this false dilemma with themselves where um, they recognize that there's something in them that is drawn to this, this thing or this activity or this uh, part of who they are. And, and maybe even just a, just a straight up talent, you're good at this thing. Mm. And in the same breath, they feel like it's tainted by their humanity in some way. Mm. And, mm. and, and what I wonder is if there's, if there's this interesting middle ground that can occur where God is, is trying to redeem you out of the middle of your uh, the challenges of hum your humanity, which, which feels like it's tainting this natural gift that you have that you've been given, and how mm. that how that in and of itself can be redeemed. Mm. TLDR, 
Kevin, maybe, maybe some, some, there's some version of you that could have been like, I could have gotten over the problems that I was having being a basketball player slash uh, musician that was feeding my ego in a way that wasn't healthy. And that could have been redeemed and God, and, and I could have lived out that cool talent that, that was God inspired in, mm. in some version of your yeah. life. Yeah. And I, and also I think a lot of that, like I haven't, without having like the conditioning and the shaping of evangelical culture, like I've met, you know, so many yeah. people in my life have there. I'm grateful because there was a lot less I needed to disentangle, unlearn, That's grow good. from gr- yeah. transcend. And I'm grateful for that, you know, to be honest. And you, you know, when you work with a lot of people growing and evolving there is because family systems, genetic predispositioning, religious upbringing, it all gets put together into this really hard not to disentangle in our emotional, our journey towards emotional yeah. wholeness, emotional, et cetera. And even though I got some of that conditioning because I went to Bible college eventually, you know, and Ooh, did which that, one? Let's judge you quick. <laughs> <laughs> After a few years in Hawaii, I ended up at Life Pacific College in San Dimas, California. It's four squares like flagship school. Okay. Wow. Right. So four, yeah, four square, like, you know, Pentecostal denomination, any simple McPherson, you know, et cetera. And I I had a good experience there. You know, like I realized rather it didn't take me too long to be like, my journey is going beyond where they are, but it's great people. And I'm so thankful to get, it's like when the Dalai Lama says, you know, you have to learn the rules, how to creatively break them. That's what Bible college was for me. It's like, this is a conservative evangelical fundamentalist. This is how we think about orthodoxy. And that was a great foundation for me at that point in my life. It was really helpful. It was really great to learn how to read the Bible from them. And then a little, two years later, my natural trajectory of growth was taking me beyond the boundaries they were probably comfortable with, but I still value that and love that time. And I went to Fuller for three years before I you know, moved back to Hawaii, had a great time there and studied black and womanist theology was a great professor there. And, you know, I had wow. good experiences in so my you time had an there. Ultra liberal yeah. theological background. <laughs> <laughs> Conservative um, ultra liberal. Wait, did it, wait, did, wait, did the Dalai Lama say you have to, that quote that you attributed to him? I was like quickly fact checking you on the way. By the way, what was it like? You have to know the rules so you can break them, creatively break them? Like creatively break them, yeah. I don't know if it originated with him, but my association of that is with him. So if he's, I mean, if he's taking it for somebody else, you got to hit him up, bro. I, can't yeah. be I know. You know Rich, Richard Rohr is coming up a lot, by oh, the yeah. way, which is really well, exciting for you. Please control your uh, urges. Your urges. remain seated. Yeah. I love me some Richard Rohr. <laughs> Which, by the way, I, w- I wanted to get into the second half of life. That uh, you go into the, a lot of that in the book. We don't probably don't have time for that now. But are you? Do you have a few more minutes? Are you okay on time? I absolutely. Hey, mother-in-law's in town. This is more time okay. than I would normally have. That I'm chilling. He's like, brother. It's only like three o'clock over here, brother. <laughs> we got so much time, man. <laughs> I'm like super. Well, that was more of a J- Jamaican patois accent. <laughs> but la- oh, brother! La- <laughs> nice try. La- you know, la- and I'm I'm all surfed out because last week we had like the biggest waves in town we've had in years, and really? I'm like sore. I was sore, so I'm chilling right now. So nice. yeah, second half of life. Well, I love it. Well, I did have one one of the things I want to get to because you're not currently, as far as I know, you're not a mu- a mushroom taker. 
Um, never did it since that night, by the way, that night I had that experience of God never did it again. Yeah. Which is, which is leading to my comment and then you can comment. I'll try to form it in a question, but we'll see what happens. And then you can, uh, just take it from there. Um, I, I had this thought that psychedelics are like the Bible, um, (laughs) in that for a lot of people, the Bible is the thing and they're not, they don't, they're not aware of that. But for you, it seems like psychedelics were the thing that pointed to the thing. And exactly. I think for a lot of uh, evangelical Christians, um, myself, my previous life was like the Bible was it. I didn't recognize it at the time, but I like, I had a version of like the Bible was my personal Lord and Savior. And, totally. And uh, recognizing now, it's like, no, the Bible is what is the thing that's pointing me to the thing. It's not, the Bible isn't the thing. The mushrooms for exactly. you weren't the thing. And a quote mm-hmm. from the book um, that you said is, even six months later when I thought about doing mushrooms again because I was aware of how good they can feel, I had this deep conviction that to do mushrooms after the experience of God was actually to betray God. Mm-hmm. What do you, what yes, sir. can you expand upon that? Like no more mushrooms yeah, so- for you. Nah, for me, you know, there's, I think that's in the more mushrooms and, and missionary or more mushrooms, the most important part moment of my life chapter, but that experience, like I said, when I look back, I'm like the mushrooms were the signs pointing me to the ocean. For example, the ocean is God and love and grace and all that good stuff. And once you have the signs pointing you to something and you get to that something, you no longer need the signs. They fulfilled their role. And the mushrooms, like I said, I sensed them saying yes, but keep going. And so I'm like, my, if they pointed me to the ocean, my life now is not to go back to the signs again and again. It is to wake up and live my life in the ocean and to trust the ocean and to experience life through the ocean and to have these moments as the ocean of life unfolding through me. So, you know, that's what happens when think about like church camps or like what I call what people call peak experiences. You could have it on mushrooms. Sure. You could have it at a big Jesus thing. You could have it at your friends are popping Molly at Coachella all weekend or whatever. It could, many different versions of it. Yep. And well, after can I the pause massive you? dot experience. I, I will pause you there real quick, though. Sorry, because because uh, it does feel a little we- weird to like club all those things together. Uh, be- because the the range of intended effects of doing Molly at Coachella versus going to church camp feels so broad, and I imagine there are listeners sitting here going like, "Yeah, no." Yeah, will you define <laughs> that a little more? So, like, so, so yeah, we, I, th- I think. So much of that is about our relationship and how we relate to these things, not about the essence in and of themselves, right? So is, somebody could go to ch- that, that. That does uh, that feel relativistic, though? Like, is that completely relativistic? It's just however you feel and whatever your personal experience is. Is there no absolutism? Well, I mean, in when I'm talking about these, like how let's say someone goes to a big church conference, someone goes to Burning Man and is doing whatever, someone I don't has another experience. To me, those experiences in these peak experiences can end up functioning in the same way for people, regardless of their intent, right? So if religion or if any of these experiences are used as ways of 
escaping or coping or helping us get through the moment. Like sometimes the religious experience is actually helping, helping strengthen the very self that I believe Jesus was inviting us to die to. Yeah. And I think that can happen anywhere. So that's where I see the connection, but that's why I bring that up is, you know, when Peter Rollins, for example, if you guys are familiar with his work, yep. you know, he, you know, he would talk about like the idea of a crack house church and how for so many people, church functions like a crack house or it's, it's a yeah. religious version of going out on a Saturday night. Why? Because it is not be leading you to the depths of the illusions you need to surrender, the depth of your pain that you need to heal, the depth of the things you need to let go of. They're actually just strengthening and fortifying the very sense of ego and self. They're comforting the self. I believe the spirit wants to shatter and lead us beyond. So in that sense, anything can function like that, including our relationship with God or our experiences of church. I mean, maybe, so, maybe like, I mean, what you're saying is that in spite of the intention of the experience, God can work beyond that. I, that is true. But I think it, I think we should be careful to not ignore what the intention of the experience is which is to say that someone can have a transcendent experience and that the intention of the transcendent experience from start to finish can be pointed in a direction. That direction mm. can be towards or away from God. Right. Like we can experience a trans transcendent experience that is, that is wholly apart and directed away from God. And, and we can, we could potentially experience one that is the reverse. And so, so the point that I'm like trying to push back on a little bit is mm. when we try to club all those things together and say it's just a it's just a grab bag of we all happen to be at the same experience and we just pull out something and say and and it magically forgive the like pejorative but like it, it magically affected me as a as a transcendent experience that pointed me towards God. However, uh, uh, Zach ended up in the hospital. And hates God after that, and and goes down a, a horrible spiral. And we were both at the same experience, and we and we we would say that we had a transcendent moment in that experience. But but our our lasting experiences were wholly different. What I'm trying to do is I'm like I'm I'm again I'm just picking. Uh, Scott's not here, so I have to be Scott today. You're doing, you're doing a good job right I, now. I have to be Scott today, and I'm adding more <laughs> psychology than Scott would add theology to it. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that is that um, when we when we look at the concept of transcendence, the the nature of what that what that transcendent moment is directed towards, I think, matters. And so, so when we say there is a transcendent moment that occurs when you are at church camp, and the whole intention and guidance and purpose of that church camp is, we are we are intending, and the Holy Spirit. In, in partnership is intending to, to direct you towards God and the things of God versus I'm going to experience a transcendent experience at Coachella, which is Molly. And all of a sudden the, the variables increase exponentially because the things that could be transcendent that I am exposed to and experienced to and, and guided towards and directed towards are, it, it feels like it's fair to say that, that, that the minority would be towards the things of God versus. Uh, right. I think, I think there's a little bit of a disconnect though. Cause what I, what I was thinking is like, I'm like, I'm not disagreeing with what you're yeah. saying. You can. However, okay. I, I think it's a little bit different. Whereas like you have the Rocky mountain high experience at a men's retreat where you're yeah. just, you're pumped up and you're fired up. You go to burning man. You've, you have this transcend, uh, transcendental experience Maybe 
substance fueled, but then you go back from that experience and you, okay, I learned this new thing and I want to take it into the rest of my life. But then that sort of fades away. And then, so you, you want to try to recreate that experience. Um, is that Kevin, is there, is there something there like where we, we want to keep hit, hitting that experience for you? You had that experience with mushrooms, but then you back, you're like, no, I don't need that anymore. Cause something clicked in you, Kevin, that was like, I, I got the catnip. I don't need to, I, I don't need, as a cat in this weird analogy, I don't need, I don't need the owner to open the cupboard and, you know, present the catnip mm-hmm. to me. Like I have access to that all the time, as opposed to like men's retreat, you get on fire for God, you're okay for a few weeks, maybe a few months. And then like, you need to rediscover that and get that, that hit again. And there's no question mm. there, but take it. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, when I am making those connections, I'm really not talking anything about intent to be honest. So I think that's like a different conversation than, you know, what the initial question is or how I responded to it. So in that, I have a chapter called peaks and paths and that gets at, you know, the larger point that I'm trying to get is whatever you experience on the peak has to become who you are on the path. And a spiritual experience doesn't always translate into a spiritual life. And so after everything that was said, what was the original question you asked me? Well, hold Zach? on. Cause I, I, man, <laughs> you said a lot right there. So I, I, I feel like I didn't even say anything. You, well, just, just getting no, ready to say, you did. You, you did. So who you, who you, you become on the, Scott and I know on the peak who should you, be who you are in the past. So, so yeah, explain what that means. Cause that, that sounds really nice. Cause it's alliterative. And so our brains as humans are like, there's a pattern. And, it's and a, I'm a pastor, so I know. You, know, you know how I do it. Yeah, that's the third P in I the alliteration. <laughs> so your pastor said peaks and peaks and paths. But um, unpack that piece. Like explain what that means. Because it's so mm. easy for us to just gloss over and start nodding our heads and go, yeah, that sounds really nice. Like, what do you mean by that? Mm. So in that chapter, what I'm saying is the peak, I'm going to give you some more, I'm going to give you some more alliterations. The peak needs to become a path. The vision we get needs to be transformed into values. And that spiritual high, like you were talking about the men's experience or whatever, needs to turn into solid ground. Okay. And the point I was making earlier is when we have that experience, let's say you have a real experience. You, you see with clarity, for some reason, your heart's open, the way the spirit's working, however you organize how all, the relationship of those two, you have a, a moment of clarity and a transcendent experience, like you were saying, of like, I know I need to do this or I need to let go of this or whatever it is. Right. And, or you just have an experience that's enjoyable because these experiences with God can be delightful. They can be amazing. You know, this is what it's like when we receive love. Yeah. And what happens is most people or one of the most common responses we have is to go back and keep trying to recreate that massive God experience. Right. Let's go to another conference. Let's right. go to another thing. And that's the point, a larger point of all these things is the real work we do does not happen on Saturday night. It always happens on Wednesday afternoon, on Thursday afternoon, on Friday morning. So you get a vision, but oftentimes 
that spiritual experience does not actually sure. transform you in the and, and to me that is the power of contemplation because without contemplation meditation consistent spiritual practices even our most powerful experiences of god will not turn into a peaceful life in God. It was an experience that will quickly fade that does not get transformed into the depths of who we are. So to me, all of those experiences, that's the point I'm making is, hey, you had that experience. That's fantastic. But how does that experience become integrated into the depths of who you are, even when the emotions, the feeling and the euphoria of it is gone? And that's a mystery of human consciousness and how transformation work. So that is where the whole crack house church and those things comes in where it's, if this is not radically transforming you, religion and God can be another tool to avoid reality, can be another tool to help you cope with a life that God's actually trying to liberate you from. And that difference of radical transformation and a momentary experience is, is what I'm really getting at with all that. Would it be fair to say that what you're kind of a lot of those things that you pointed to is really that the, the, the maturity that comes after a, a moment of inspiration really needs to le- lead to a life of discipline because mm. discipline is doing the thing when you're not feeling the thing, mm. right? I mean, mm. at, at its core, it's because and what, internally you know yeah. it's the right thing to do even though you don't feel it. And so you don't have that that peak experience, like that artificial energy, that, that like spiritual caffeine to function mm. off of, so to speak, but that, that, that the change has been so instrumental in you and you recognize it at such a core level that, that, that it, it translates into discipline in your life. It was, was funny about, you know, even when you first hear the chapter of the book, Zach, you're like, Oh, this, this guy, maybe he's a proponent of mushrooms now. And you're like, Oh, this is actually, I tell people like the book's very pastoral and practical, actually. It's very day to day, you know, wisdom stuff yeah. as a parent, as a person who's choosing their kids over building a platform as a person who's not counting numbers in church because of the truth that you're trying to live into. If it's not about that, yep. et cetera. Yeah. And One of the things I say in, I think that chapter was if peak spiritual experiences are the gate we go through to access the truth, contemplation is the discovery that there is no gate. Right. So that which you experience on the mountaintop through all of these other external forms, light shows and worship, or it could be this or whatever it is. Well, eventually when all that fades, are you cons- do you consistently have practices that tether you to the ground of grace that plant your feet firmly in the life of God and that consistently transform you? Even like when you said you're not feeling a sense of euphoria. And I think the irony of someone could read the book or hear me be like, this guy's like in Hawaii, mm-hmm. he's chilling. He's gonna-. I'm like, I, there's a lot of things I'm not good at. And I'm very honest about that. Even when it comes to leadership and organizational leadership, I am a very disciplined person and I've, I got that from my father a lot, I think. And like when I wrote this book, it was a self-implemented, pretty regimented, rigid schedule up at 540 eating more than likely doing times in silence, getting ready to write. My wife sees clients at this time. I take the kids, like kids go down, go back to it. Even when it comes to silence and solitude, like my, my consistent practice is, oh, this is, I'm going to do my 20 minute sit right now. I do a breathing exercise every time I do it for them, like virtually every time I do, it, it's the same breathing exercise takes about eight minutes ish. 
I have whatever I do the next 12, like my life is a lot more disciplined and regimented than people think, because those are the practices. It's not the people. That experience I had at 18, I didn't return to the mushrooms. My life was now, what are the practices that are grounding me in the truth of this? Even when the feeling's gone, even when it's not that, the substance of love, how do I open myself up to love? And so to me, that's what I'm getting at is the real work is always not how high were you at that moment or how powerful was that experience Mm -hmm. of God? It's, are you going to let go of the illusions that are getting in the way of you being present to your family because you're too driven by your ego that you're a workaholic? Are you going to face the pain of your past and face it and feel it and forgive it and not continue to perpetuate those same wounds through the lives of your children, your family system, et cetera? Like the real work is always after in our consistent day-to-day life in God, which is held together, like you said, through discipline and practice funny yeah. enough you know so well and it's, yeah and it is interesting because the, the the a transcendent moment can take lots of different forms right it, it shows up in people's lives in lots of different ways and whether it is mm-hmm. in your experience through taking mushrooms whether it is a mountaintop experience at a retreat or or whatever it is but it is a moment for you for us as humans to pause and go wait a minute I'm seeing I'm seeing the world and reality and and my life in a different way and and in this in this equation if I believe in God it is that I'm seeing who God is in a different way and what God's idea of who I am in a different way and so I'm going to make an adjustment in my life and so I have zero problem with the idea that 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 experience can happen for for Christians in a way that is powerful and moving that allows us to say okay great wow i i had i had the had a peak experience and now i need to make sure that that peak peak experience does something that's lasting and meaningful otherwise Absolutely. it was it was a small bump and it was something that I would I could look back on fondly in my memory and go, oh, yeah, I remember that time. It was great. We yeah, I had a totally. great time in camp. Versus all of a sudden my life changed and my the trajectory of my life changed. And it's really easy to say that. It's really easy to say that on a podcast to go, right. oh, I had a great time. But uh in practice, it's really hard to to live that out from day to day. Like I can hear little kiddos in in the background. Of your uh, <laughs> coming through your earpods, airpods right now, which is awesome. <laughs> earpods is what my mom calls them. Gosh, dude, freaking old. <laughs> okay, boomer. Yeah, seriously. You know, the, you know those i those iPods in yeah. your ear. You guys, <laughs> hey, got them iPods in your ear. Oh, uh, Jeff, you've been incepting me with your old age. <laughs> but dude, yeah, it, there, 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 there's, there's a story about a little girl who was scared of the dark because she believed there was a monster who would appear in the corner of the room whenever the lights would go out. And she would lay in her bed and with this silent anxiety and paralyzing fear until she would finally scream for her dad to come into the room. And each time the dad would come in, he would flip on the lights and she would see there was no monster in the room. And then as her dad sat next to her, he would comfort her until she went to sleep. And this would happen like night after night. And of course, there is a great sense of comfort and immediate relief of fear whenever the dad comes in and turns the light on, right? Each time the young girl is temporarily convinced 
you know, that there's no monster and her fear is alleviated. And eventually she goes back to sleep the rest of the night. And while that momentary peace is great, the real issue for the girl becoming free of fear and anxiety is not how quickly her dad can run and turn the light on. It's her learning to trust that she's safe even while she's in the dark. That her dad's always there. She needs yeah. to see and that there is no monster. Right. And so actually, to me, the God experiences the lights get flipped on, but when is it gets no turned monster? off and there's Sorry. and there's no and when the euphoria is over right the lights get turned we have lights turned on lights get turned off and we want to go back and keep yeah. turning the light on i'm like no you've already seen something the point now like what we're talking about is to trust and live out that which you've already seen are you going to become what you say you believe are you going to live out what you've learned back to the alliterations because that's yeah. how you know they're real that's <laughs> that's the journey of spiritual practices that's the journey of, of for me, contemplation is how do you translate that experience into a, into an actual life? I like that. All this, yeah. I like that. I think the monster might actually still be there by, by the way, but it's mm. in spite of that. Do you still think that the father is still there? Oh, That's okay. The, mm. I like those two coexisting. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> now I, I've got, I've got so many notes, Kevin, that we don't have time for, <laughs> but as we are landing this plane, uh, one of the things we like to do is is just briefly mention one at a time, like what are we consuming, whether it's a good album, a book, a movie, obviously not Star Wars, you know, a TV show. <laughs> never, 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 don't ever. Never never see, if we ever see each other, you can ask me that question again. It's going to be the same answer. Hashtag never Star Wars. Um, <laughs> yeah. what it, whatever it is, hey, um, look at my phone real what quick. are you consuming that's, that's um, I don't know, that's capturing you? And making mm, a difference, and it can be it can question. be uh, it can be silly, and it can be uh, profound. Yeah. All right. Well, what no, do you, I love it. What oh, do you gosh, got first? We're going to start with Jeff. Oh no! Starting... God no! No, I'm going. I'm going last. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to be. I'm going to be the. I'm going to be the one who you know gets to say things along the way, and then I can answer. Nice, so. nice. That's good, Jeff. What are you consuming? <laughs> oh my gosh! You're always consuming. Okay, I'm going to be. Um, I hate being brutally honest. Always. This is just horrible. There's this show on Netflix called Money Kardashians. No. Oh. It's called Mon- Money Heist. It's, I think. It's- oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's in subtitles. I believe it's maybe mm-hmm. sp- from Spain or something like that. But I got watching this show from going to this Christian camp with my sixth graders. Um, it, and one of the staff members is like, oh, my favorite is Money Heist. It's so good. And I'm thinking, well, I know she's Christian, even though they were running the science camp for us. They have a, It's a Christian camp. It was and- a Christian science camp. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you anyway, attack yeah, like, that so, one, so Lister. Mo- 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 Moses was writing a Brontosaurus to Hebrew school. I'm like, okay. Don't worry. We'll, I we'll am, pray, for, pray for your healing. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm, and I'm like, Binge watching this late at night after my wife goes to bed and I'm kind of fast forwarding through stuff. I'm like, I just want to know how they, you know, how this ends up. And I just want to go back. I can't stop. I'm so far in. I can't, I can't back out. And I want to go back to the the lady who recommended this and just say, how dare you? That was Mm. just, I just, I lost interest. I think in the second season, (laughs) but season one. Yeah. Is so good of that. I will, I will yes. say that, so I'm with you on that. Hold yes. on, hold on, Kevin. 
I said, hold on. I said, hold on, Kevin. Hold on, Kevin. Same person, dude. We have the same. Hold on, Kevin. Jeff. Jeff. Is season one so good? Like Kevin says, Game of Thrones was a little better. Never seen, never seen that either. Well, Kevin's operating out of ignorance. He hasn't even done mushrooms for twenty years. Anyway, Zach, what are you consuming? Um, well, you've mentioned Mer- Merton a couple times. Uh, what's the book? Is it New Seeds of Contemplation? Mm-hmm. I'm not reading that. I am reading that very <laughs> slowly. Zach okay. calls reading books buying books. It's oh, the same word in I his know. mind. You're, my wife would not disagree with that, but th- I've, I'm juggling so many books. But that book is one where it's like, it's it's short, but it's a lot. And that's not my final answer for what am I consuming. That is one brief, like I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to rediscover a little bit of I'm trying to discover a spiritual practice because I've got a little bit of it's a long story, uh, you know, deconstruction, not knowing what's real, what's up, what's down spiritually, and so you know, finding my spiritual sea legs as it were. Uh, so I'm doing, you know, I'm doing I'm, I'm trying to find a practice, Andy. Mm. Yeah, Thomas Merton. But uh, Island. Also um, on on HBO, The Righteous Gemstones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been watching that uh, all by myself late at night when everyone else is asleep. Like you should. Like I should. And um, there are some moments in there that are so spot on with like the what what church does and how it like uh, fosters community in a way that's not always uh, healthy. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's all, it's all good or, you know, but I'm, I am enjoying that show and it's making me laugh. Sounds like you're saying <laughs> none of it's good. <laughs> well, if, if you're prone to offense at depictions of the church that are anything but positive, then don't watch it. Oh man. Okay. So speaking of HBO max, I watched the Batman last night and I knew I, I saw I saw official reviews and I saw friend, respected friend reviews that were like, this isn't good. And then I watched it. And guess what, guys? It's not good. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> yeah. I disagree, but we'll do that. We'll no, hash that out the later. The Batman? Yeah, the new one. It's stupid. No, I didn't think so. Zach likes we'll stupid, stupid, stupid Why? things. Why? There's, <laughs> it's not. We'll put, I said we'll do it later, Andy. God, put it up against a Christian Bale <laughs> Batman. Oh, I... I agree. Christian Bale is Batman God. Well, there you go. God Batman. When you know that God exists, why would you take something less? Right, Kevin? <laughs> I'm with you. That's what I did when I was 18. That's, That's why I never what went he back. did. That's what the whole thing's about. So why would, you, why would you settle for mud puddles when so, you could take a holiday at the sea? Like Andy, C.S. Lewis said. You're saying I'm betraying Batman God by enjoying... I went back to the Batman... <laughs> God and I'm I'm betraying him. I'm saying Robert Pattinson Batman is a cold fart in the wind. Okay, <laughs> I like it. It wasn't. It was. It, it was disappointing and uh, and it was contrived. Right, so I'm, I'm going to watch 15 minutes of that tonight, dude. It's not good. All and right, he, and even one and of my just, favorites. Just, just, just stick with Money Heist. <laughs> money Heist. Stick with Money Heist. <laughs> you know, what? just go rewatch the. Uh, I'm looking for an exit strategy. The second. The second. Uh, Batman with the Joker, Heath Ledger. Just watch that and just soak every moment the of Dark that. The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight is great. Well, no, the Dark Knight is all of them. They're like, 
Whatever. All right, Kevin, are you ready? What are you consuming? Um, if you say so, if you say Thomas Merton, you're kicked off this podcast. You know, I, you know, since I went into a writing mode, since even one since I had kids and especially started writing, I honestly like don't really read. Oh, that's good. I just had to let I had to let that part of me just be like I just don't have the energy even after having two little kids. So I've barely read the last couple of years, to be honest. Like mushrooms, um, you just can't go back to that anymore. I'm like Reading's I'm done with done. that, dude. It sucks. No, <laughs> no regrets. No regrets, bro. Yeah, no, I don't regret that at all. Um, <laughs> you, you, so you know, one of the main characters from Righteous Gemstones, Adam Devine. Yeah, he's the guy. Workaholics, yeah. which is the show oh that gosh. made him, is one of my dude favorite. Sh- that that's like for like the Office, how you can go back and have it on loop. I it's will watch so the Workaholics on loop. It's yeah. next level. And and you know those guys, they were went to Orange Coast College and they lived in Costa Mesa. Wow. So yeah, you no, can learn I didn't about know that, that story, but now it all so. makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah. So really, I think in that era of like 2005 to 2008 ish, they were around. They were like living around. They're going to OCC, living around Costa Mesa. So it's just funny to hear them talk about it. Oh yeah. But their workaholics, I will loop through if I have the app that does it. Their podcast, This Is Important. They have a podcast, those guys, called This Is Important. It's the only podcast I listen to Like where I'm like, I listen to every episode. It's the only one I listen to like that. Besides bros, Bibles, and beer. Other than that, going going forward, going forward, we'll give you that. Going forward. Yeah. No, that's Um, great. So those guys... You know, I follow, most people don't really know how it's evolved, but I follow battle rap, which has become a big industry, you know, really closely. Cause you know, I, that's, you know, what's interesting about walking away from music and basketball was the first loves I stay with you really deep, you know, your first loves. And yeah. that's why I tell people, whatever you default to on YouTube, those are your real loves and passions. You know, at the end, when you can't find anything to watch, you're like, I guess I'll just watch hunting videos again or something. Yeah, you know it. Scott watches lockpicking videos. What does that mean? <laughs> I, so, I was. Know, we both had an interesting teenage years. Yes. It's awesome. Hmm. So those two, you know, podcast, that show, um, I just started watching season four of Snowfall on FX, which is about like how crack emerged and a big dope dealer, like in LA at that time, you know? So okay. I like that show. And yeah, honestly, I haven't really been reading, you know, I'm in the middle stages of writing my third book right now, but it's on pause basically as I'm like getting ready for to promo this first one. So, so you're done with your book, second one then I have a, I have a, I actually have a, I'll, you know, I'm going to reach out to you again since I initiated this. By the way, bros, Bible, and beer, they didn't reach out to me. I reached out to them. I'm very proactive. I'll put that out there. Nice. But I have a second book coming out actually in January January 3rd um, called The Joy of Letting Go. So I'm going to hit you guys up again. I'm coming back. Dude, let's do this. Yes. And so... The third, I will say the third book I'm working on is about the cosmic Christ and the concrete Jesus and how you put those together and how it's essentially me saying how mystics have given me the cosmic Christ and how black and womanist theologians have given me the concrete earthy Jesus. Now I'm putting those together. So I went back to a lot of my, like, always have the mystical stuff. Went back to a lot of my black and womanist stuff. Was reading a new book by Christina Cleveland called God is a Black Woman. So was revisiting, reading some new stuff. Scott would love that. Honestly, 
Was, I could tell, dude. That's that's <laughs> totally up his. <laughs> but I, I don't. I'm like I just am not reading. So yeah. shows, stupid stuff. That's all right, I man. mean, no judgment. Know, man. The podcast, no regrets. Yeah. I I want to I want to hear more about that. And I please do hit us up when you got something to promote. And then of course when you're in town, if you don't, dude. Don't we can get a beer? Trust me, you don't want that. We'll get, oh, we, that that, but the basketball. We'll you get trust a beer. Me, you don't and want that at all. We'll dunk on lightning you. round. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but before, if you guys are going to wrap up again, I I really mean it. You know, as a yeah. first time author, so grateful for these chances. I do not take them for granted. So I'm so thankful for you guys to take the time and, and bring me on. And yes, like the last minute stuff, you want to find me, uh, yep. church needs therapy is my own podcast where I do half guests and half my own teachings on there. Nice. Making of a mystic comes out May 31st. So I have a, a book release party here in Hawaii. I have a book release party that um, I'm going to do in California. Then I have an event in New York like two weeks later that I'm doing. So all kinds of stuff. Where's the book this, release man, party so. in California? You know, I've already like basically have the date. I just haven't booked the spot yet, but it will be in Orange County. Okay. Oh, so, if you're doing right. with Ralph, I'll reach out to him. Yeah, we know Ralph. Yeah. Oh yeah, dude! He just emailed me as we were talking. That's really hilarious. perfect. Uh, it just popped up. Uh, so uh, and 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 when that book comes out, uh, can people get it on the normal in the normal locations? Like where should where should someone go to try to find that book? Amazon. Yeah, if you're not here, Amazon's the best. So okay. go to Amazon May 31st. Pick that up, and uh, I'm gonna say one more. Costa makes a connection. When I connected with Choir Publishing, Ralph, et cetera, and saw my book proposal. I didn't know who was the head of choir. I reached out. Ralph hit me up almost immediately. He's like, Kevin, we know each other because we did like a Steve Carter preaching class together like 10 or 11, 12 years ago wow. or something. And me and Ralph knew each other. So it was really cool. Full circle, still connected with Steve. And, you know, so yeah. Costa Mesa is, you know, it's a, spe- I really, it's, it's a, a special hub. place. I love it. It's cool. It's a great place. Yeah. Well, I will say an average day of surf here in the summer is probably the best day of surf there in, in the summer. But other than that, it's a great place uh, to be. In Costa Mesa <laughs> or in San Clemente? Yeah, I'm thinking like Newport. It yeah. just, you know, it gets so onshore so quickly. <laughs> right. surf, my wife and I surf Salt Creek a lot in the past, too. Oh, yeah. That's our beach. That's, That's where we our go. beach. That's where we go. Yeah. 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 But thank you, guys. I appreciate Kevin, it. Kevin, I appreciate your time. Thanks for going, going long and... Um, People can check you out. I the book was the book is great, and uh, I had so much more I wanted to get to. But hopefully, we'll get you back on. Sounds like we will mm. when you got something else yeah, to promote. Let's do it, and then yeah, maybe we'll see you cool. at the uh, book release party in Orange County because we yeah, are in yeah, Orange man. County. Nice. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, dude. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Do we want to keep going? Do we want to keep talking about Kevin when he's not around? Man, I had, I had, uh, I had so many notes. That was good though. I'm glad you did. Did you, did you feel uncomfortable that you didn't get to the rest of your notes? No, no. But uh, it's an exercise in my mysticism, in my becoming a mystic, is to um, let the notes die so that they may live again. Do you think ladies have mysticism and guys have mysticism? <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. I was like, We're... yes, definitely. I'm glad you said that. That's a good clarification. <laughs> Scott would be proud. Um, 
you did such a good job of harnessing Scott that when I said Scott would be a big fan of that, he thought I was talking about you when uh, when he mentioned the black and womanist theology. Wow, uh, he um, did. Which I don't blame him because he did a great job. You transformed. You embodied Scott. But uh, to be fair to myself and to Scott, um, those are those are my own thoughts and questions. Yeah. And Scott and I have a natural crossover, as do you and I. As do you and I. And I even have a crossover with Scott. That's the beauty of this podcast. Yeah, that is a beauty. There's so many crossovers. But we we're appreciate the, you, we're the, the listener. We're the Tim Hardaway of podcasting. <laughs> Tim Hardaway. That's a timely reference. Yeah, Could is. you do a reference of somebody that's been playing the last 20 years, maybe? Killer crossover. No one has a better crossover than him. Maybe Alan Iverson. Mm, yeah. Again, an older reference than Tim. Well, I guess, no, they're kind of the same. Maybe Dr. J. Dr. <laughs> Jerry West. Uh, maybe James Naismith. <laughs> nice. He invented basketball, people. <laughs> Figure it out. Anything else? Um, hit us up at Bros Bibles Beer. On all the socials. And if you want to email us, brosbiblesbeer at gmail.com. And if you want to leave us. That's a- how Kevin hit us up. He Kevin, did? Kevin reached out to us. And, uh, oh. and I responded eventually. <laughs> and we got him on. <laughs> The important thing is it happened. So, listener, if you don't get a response right away... I will say Kevin was persistent, and I'm thankful that he was because I enjoyed that conversation. Borderline spam. But keep it up, and we we will eventually respond. Voicemails. Well, anchor.fm slash bbbpod. There's a button on there that says message. Click that button when you go there and leave us a message. And guess what? We're going to read that message whether or not we've heard it or not. And guess what I'm going to do right now? It could be crazy. I'm going to check it right now. I'm going to check Anchor right now. There's probably nothing. I know. Hold on. I'm going to check it. What if there is? Hold on. I'm looking thanks at for being here, Jeff. Tools. Hey, thanks, Zach. Andy, thanks for being here. I love being here. It's great. Scott? I feel like I'm supposed to be somewhere else. Bad news, guys. The last voicemail that we had was from 2021, February 4th. David Quaid Melton. Mm-hmm. Nope. I appreciate Mr. Quaid. And also, he referred to himself as Quaid. I remember that. So, leave us a voicemail. We'll just play it straight up. And we won't even edit it. It doesn't matter what it says. It literally doesn't matter. Say hello. Well, grace, peace, cheers into the multiverse. Please do it. For Zach and Jeff, this is Andy. And bros, bye, bye. And Scott. Bye, Scott. Bye, Scott. Bye, Scott.